Hey, this is Louis LaRosa, artist of Savage for Valiant, and you are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Fine. Good practice. This feels like part two. <laughs> oh, I've been looking forward to this. Just yeah, a little. You know, it, it is it is incredible considering how often you talk about 2080 progs yes. and dread mm-hmm. that this is our first ever like meaty dread conversation in the collective. It's true. And it's, that is the reason why I'm happy, because, like it or not, at least we will be speaking on it. And I think this work is very valuable and needs to be talked about. Um, I'm not uh, demanding that you, you love it, but at least you read it and you give an opinion on it, and that's, that's more than enough for me. I'm Absolutely. easy. Yeah, like a Sunday morning. And, Dap, you said it, right? Like, this was a gift for all of us from Matt Burden, right? Yes, many, many, many moons ago. Um Early, early on in the um, yeah. in the days of eleven o'clock, I'm because I, I was in the old house, um, and I'm pretty I miss sure. Matt. Yes, he's um, a busy man. Yes, he is. And I remember when I got it because I remember where I had the layout in in because because I moved things around a few times in in that room and um, yeah, it, it, it definitely had it for for quite a while. Um, I flip through it every once in a while and. Um, because it is, it's, it's, it's a good, it's not necessarily something you, I mean, we've talked about other anthologies and the same thing with like the milk and cheese and stuff. You may not need to read cause it's a weekly story. So it's, it's not, it's not something you may need to sit down and read, um, a hundred or so pages at a clip. Um, well, in this instance, it's not a week. Well, there's one particular, one particular story, uh, is the bulk of it, but it, it's, um, I know, yeah. I know. I'm there you go. Don't worry, I'm, 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 hey, I'm, I'm, I'm landing the boat. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. But no, it, it's, it's a. Um, see, you, you got me all. Oh, I, I capsized the dinghy. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Fine, hate, do your thing. I hate when that happens, and you shouldn't hate when this happens because it's eleven o'clock comics, episode six hundred and eighty-one, and I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Indeed you are, and he is Dirty Frank. <laughs> Left friggin' field. No, <laughs> he, I don't know who you're referring to, he is not Dirty Frank. Dirty he, Frank speaks in the third person. Here. I know, but yeah. it just doesn't work. All right, he's not Dirty Frank, neither are you. <laughs> no one's Dirty Frank here. You're Jason Wood, everybody, all together for this, the Book of the Month episode. What? Focusing on... Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, Volume 5, by a boatload of talented comic creators. We'll get to that in a little while. So, big picture. Jason always says this. He always asks this question. And I know the answer to at least w- from at least one person. Did you buy these off the rack, or is this the first time you've read them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, as we just said in the intro, this was a gift from... A uh, longtime friend, listener of the show, Matthew Burden, uh, years ago, because even though it's the ninth collection of these, he felt it was the most uh, accessible in terms of 
like the best jumping on point. And uh, I'd love to, maybe we'll ping him this week and I'd love to have, cause it's been a long time for him to remind us why like this, he thought that versus like any of the others. Cause I haven't read it, but this is not the first judge dread I've read. Cause I've read it sporadically. You know, we've been gifted from awesome people like Mark Lamming and Tony Esmond, 2080 progs before you've given me some progs to read Vince. So I've, I've read judge Dredd, judge dread stories before. Um, just more hit or miss, but but this is the first time I've read these specific collection of stories. Nice. I'm guessing Dap has read some of this before. Oh yeah, the um, Judge Death Lives. I um, I had a um, a, a Fleetway Equality reprint um, collecting that story. That was pretty much that may have been my this is. I don't remember how old I was at the time, but it was probably my introduction to, um, to, I remember seeing the character. I just don't recall reading too many stories with him. So that was, that was an introduction and, and, and it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's unfortunate, but it, it, when I think of dread for me, I tend to, um, and it's wrong, but I tend to think of Brian Boland as, as, as the artist. He was also kind of my intro for Boland. Um, and I know that there are plenty of other, artists out there and even in this book Boland has a couple of stories but it's not it's it's not necessarily his his book um well that's region specific because while most of us here in the states were exposed to judge dread through brian boland with as you said the quality uh fleetway reprints on the other side of the water it would definitely be carlos esquera yeah. would, would mm-hmm. be the, the exposure to judge because he was right. in on the ground floor so right. uh, you know depending on where you were born your your judge dread artists will differ and, and i mean for some people it might even be um it might even be ron or colin i mean depending on maybe when they started whatever their first prog was um right. i mean yeah carla was there from the start but um if if colin wilson or ron smith drew a couple of of progs in a row and and that was someone's introduction to the character i can see that them being it's, it's just like a par on batman or or adams or or newton it's like whoever whoever kind of introduced you ever brought you to the dance that's kind of who you end up sticking with but but no i definitely i mean as i've gotten older but, but with me it's weird and again because of the reprints when i think of carlo i think of uh strontium dog i don't i i Obviously, yes, Dredd is a big part of it, but I think of I, I think of his other character, and and um, whether that's uh, fair or normal, I, I I can't say, but I tend to think of um, of that character with that artist. Yeah, and I got a little bit ahead of myself because I'm mm-hmm. so excited to mm-hmm. talk about this book, and we did not do you did not the uh, sponsorship and as usual this episode has mm-hmm. been sponsored by discount comic book service dcbservice.com where you can get judge dread 2000 ad lots of stuff from rebellion and anything let's be honest within the previews catalog dcbservice.com has a bunch of stuff on special uh, we get to order again woohoo comic shops are by and large open and ordering has commenced, and this are the specials for this month. Dynamite, Atlas Comics Signature Series, Mars Attacks, Red Sonia, number one. Written by John Lehman, art by Fran Struken, cover art, one of the covers, by Lucio Parillo. The cover price says three ninety nine. dollars nah, you're not going to pay that at all. 
you're going to pay $1.99 for that. From IDW, we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin number 1. This is a big to-do because not only is Kevin Eastman involved, Peter Laird is involved as well, and Andy Kuhn. It's an oversized uh, miniseries in both page count and format, and the cover price reflects it. It's eight ninety nine for the first issue, but you're really smart. You scoff at that. You're not going to pay eight ninety nine. You're only going to pay four dollars and forty nine cents. That's half of what everybody else is paying. And last but certainly, absolutely not least, from a blaze, it's the Sumerian People of the Black Circle number one, written by originally written by Robert E. Howard, this time adapted by Sylvain Runeberg with art by Jaquan Park. Three ninety nine cover price, your price two dollars and nineteen cents. In case you're doing the math, that's forty five percent off. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order additions to get your books delivered right to your door. It's easier than going to the drive-thru for a couple of burgers and a shake. And it's nice. better better for your body. Okay, just to reiterate, this book of the month is Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, Volume 5, written by John Wagner and Alan Grant, illustrated by Brian Boland, Steve Dillon, Ian Gibson, Mike McMahon, Ron Smith, Colin Wilson, John Cooper, Barry Mitchell, and some guy named Carlos Esquera. And here's what we did. We said, because it's a massive book, we will pick one story that we all read, and then we will each pick another story to talk about. So the one story that we all tag-teamed on was the obvious choice, Judge Dead Lives, which was published in 1981. Damn. 2000 AD Prague's 224 to 228. It's a short little tale. It but, is. But it it's, is. A, it's a powerhouse tale, which was written by T.B. Grover. Now, T.B. Grover is a pseudonym for the team of Grant and Wagner. Uh, it was illustrated by Brian Boland, of course. I think, uh, in terms of the, uh, compared to the other stories in the book, it's quick, it's dirty, it's effective and memorable. And it's beautifully illustrated. So it ranks pretty high in terms of quality with the other stories. You guys feel the same way? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 The the only, um, yeah. I mean, when it comes to um, cleanliness or, or um, line work, um, the the only one who kind of comes, it, it isn't the same, but Ron Smith, it, it, it's very clean with the bone compared to in line with, with the bone stuff. But as far as the judge death lives story, uh, yeah, at, at everything you said, it's, it is beautiful. It is quick. It's, it's powerful in it. And, and the images in that story, cause I didn't, I didn't read it in the original prog. So I read the reprint, which, which came out shortly after, but, but even to this day, a story from the early eighties, I, I, those images are still, still, very vivid in my head. It contains one panel that may rank with the all-time greatest panels in comics. And we'll get to it. We'll get <laughs> okay. to it. But um, to be honest, I don't like clean with Judge Dredd. I, I mean, understand. yes, Brian Boland is unassailable. His his technique is magnificent. He's gorgeous with, with shadows. Uh, his, his anatomy, his figure drawing, his facial features, the the 
progression uh, from panel to panel is amazing. I think he's too clean for Dread. I, I like. I, I I prefer Carlos uh, Esquera. Sure. Way much I more. Guess you. Yeah, much more than Boland. But if you know, you you really can't say. It it doesn't. It's just a personal preference. Um, I like dirty, gritty, ratty lines more than Pete Craig Russell elegant mm-hmm. lines any day. But like I said, Boland's unassailable. The technique is there. He's a master. Yeah. Um, could, and could and we, I okay. I would hazard to guess that Dread would never have become as popular on this side of the pond had it not been for Brian Boland. He's a much more crowd pleasing artist than Carlos Escara and the ilk. Boland is extremely easy on the eyes, and therefore I thought he garnered a lot more attention than if they started with Carlos's work. Mm-hmm. The re- the reprints that is. Yeah. Well well, I mean this is volume nine, so they didn't start with five. Volume five. Oh volume five, sorry. Yeah. No, they didn't start but but when uh, Rebellion was was reprinting the stuff over here, Fleetway Quality, they cherry picked. Yeah. And the initial 2000 AD monthly, Brian Bolin was on the cover. I mean, Bolin was all over them, and that was the thing that really, at that time, Bolin was rocketing to stardom, and the attention was there. But. Uh, on the flip side, they also published Strontium Dog, which didn't do all that bad either. So right. maybe I'm just full of crap. I don't know. No, I think I, I, I if it if they started the reprinting if, if if they didn't start reprinting when they did um, in the uh, in in the eighties, then what um, is that sound? It sounds like a, it sounds like a pile driver. Uh, fireworks. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Um, You've been getting that in New York. I knew New York City's been getting that shit. You've been getting that shit. Yeah, that's yeah. frustrating as fuck. There was uh, last weekend. Uh, it, it happened on on Juneteenth. It, it they 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 let them off about eleven thirty, so they got in God just under the, under the wire. But then a little after twelve, it it sounded like it was downtown Volusia. It was just there was it it went on for about. Eight, ten, twelve minutes of just nonstop right. firecrackers, and 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 the next morning there was still red dust and wrappers all over the place. After Renee was done walking on it, she went back out with a with a broom. But um, yeah, every there's some nights every once in a while they won't do anything, and then there are a couple other nights which just like I don't know why. Just just wait till next week, Jesus. Um, the the um, if they if they didn't start reprinting with the Bolin stuff when they did, we probably I, I think people would have been okay with Carlos. It was just I, I think it was just the right place, right time. It, it's if it, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean Bolin was everywhere for a number of years. Yeah, and I think in large part due to his crafting of the Dark Judges. Matt, the yeah. man, the man's just impeccable. Did he, did he draw the original Judge Death story? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. I'm, so it was, it was I'm a nice pretty sure he did. Yeah. Come back for the sequel. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you if you look at trends in 2000 AD, they seem to there are go to guys for different 
storylines, I think, which I think is, you're right. I think it's good. Yes. Yeah. I think it's very good. Like, again, I like Mike McMahon over Boland yes. for Dread. You know, is, is Mike McMahon is not, it does not have the finesse that Boland has, but I'm not looking for finesse in Judge Dredd. I'm looking for dirty, hairy, grit, and grime. And I think McMahon and Escara, they're the guys that I mean, bring this, that. This is even um, clean for Steve Dillon. And, I, and and Dillon's always been clean. He's always had an economy of line, but he always, he, there are times where his, his, his inking could be thick and, um, and, and, and steady. And here there's, there's definitely some um, some variations in in line weight and and it just it, it it doesn't doesn't I look at this and it's like and and it's there the bones are there but I'm like this is this is the guy who ends up drawing the Punisher and and Preacher and and you know we I know him from his later DC Vertigo and and Marvel work but and I I, I love his Judge Dredd work yeah you need to see Dylan on Robusters. Okay. He doesn't even look like the same uh, artist that did Preacher. And that's, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Right. He's much more uh, controlled on role, well, because he's drawing machinery for the most part. So uh, we're used to seeing him drawing uh, handsome men and vampires and attractive women in a a, a gothic, you know, southern setting. That's far removed from Robusters as you're going to get. They're both wonderful. But uh, again, it's it all depends on tastes and preference and and how you like to to see your your favorites depicted. I really I like McMahon's dread too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about it now or after, but I'd love to have a conversation about dread as a character. Sure. And the appeal, uh, one way or the other, um, because especially now, like you've made a several allusions to events about like t- how the how prescient some of these stories are, but like, I mean, Dredd is unapologetically a fascist. He is a, 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 you know, he, he basically is a not, he's, he's basically got no interest in basic human rights and, and the law is the law. Uh, it's not about like, it's, it's laws, not about intent laws about what's written. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like certainly politically speaking, the world of dread would be an incredibly right winged world. Uh, so much so that that uh, later on in in the run, I know that uh, there's a particular story that's considered a major sea change for for Dread um, about uh, you know uh, where where he Alan Grant makes the choice to to kind of make you realize that Dread is a is a pretty deplorable person um, in the way he acts. So like, but that was that was in volume nine. So like we we had decades or well not years and years ten let's say a decade of uh, and and hundreds of stories of, of him basically being like the law is the law i'll do whatever i need to do to enforce it you know life is worth nothing if you break the law and it is kind of fascinating to me in today's context where uh, certainly we all lean the same way politically like i struggle with him being a completely unlikable character like i want nothing to do with a world where judge judge dread and the judges exist like to me like isn't this exactly the thing that we're all fearful of the police state becoming and why we want to rail against it. Yeah, I see. I, I struggle with the fascist appellation for dread. I think he's, I think he's hardline conservative, but Mm. there's, there's a line in, 
in the story that I read, the Apocalypse War, that they used to juxtapose against the a similar line delivered by the Soviet chief judge. And we'll get to that. But I think dread. I think there's a sanctity to life with dread for those over which he presides. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think he's a has complete disregard for human life. I wouldn't say that. Why would he be a why would he be a, a law enforcement officer? Yes, because he wants to enforce the law, but if he's if he disregards human life, where where is the law to to oversee? Like what do, who to whom does it apply? Is well, he, that's it seems to me like like the message is if you follow the constructs that society puts upon you, then yes, your life is worth something, but if you decide to break it, then your life is meaningless because you need to be part of the system. Yeah, I I will agree with that. As long mm-hmm. as, as long as you're um, uh, constraining your life to the letter of the law, and the I will say with with dread, the letter of the law is the exact letter of the law. Right. No, and, and that's that's what I was getting at, which is like, again, this isn't the first dread I've read, but that said, it, it is the first time I've read dread in a big chunk at a time like this. Right. And I do find it fascinating because, and, and I'm, I know there's a whole contingent of comic readers that have other political views, but like certainly in our circle of influence, and it seems like Dredd is well-loved in that, we're generally progressive politically, and it would seem to me like this would be the kind of character that would be hard for us to find appealing. And yet, for many, it is like, so I'm, I'm, it's, it's hard for me to answer this, because again, I've been relatively not exposed to it, but for people that have been such die-hard Dredd fans... I'm curious why this appeals to you when it's a a person and a system that you largely I'm thinking would find repugnant if you were a citizen of this of mega city. That's a very good question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean again, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I no, just, I, I understand I'm why because I'm like, oh, I'm like this is interesting because like dread I think is a beloved like institution of comics, especially for the UK, and it's like but like the system that 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 we've got these hundreds of stories on is a system that like none of us would want, right? Like we'd all be pretty pissed off if this is the world we lived in. Oh, I mean, it's this is. It, it I wonder if part of it is it's it's how in the future um, these these British writers thought thought of America. But you have um, well, Mega City One is America, right? Exactly. Yeah, and they were very prescient. The the, the, the Northeast, though, right? Because you have you have Texas City One, and and then you have Mega City Two. So I'm guessing that Mega City One is probably the Northeast, or at least the eastern part of. Anyway, um, the I mean, there's there there is a scene where in in, in the story where um, the citizens are affected with radiation they'll be dead in an hour and they just you know they they asked you right and the rest of the judges don't leave us like this and they're like okay so request granted i mean normally dread is like you know you are and even when there's there's the other story there's another story where um the uh the the blitzers are, are after a couple and she's just like no well then just just take me to prison because that that's 15 years on an iso cube because i can't keep looking over my shoulder for this mob is trying to take me out and it's it's still you know he could have just let her to her own devices and say you know that that's the bed you made but 
it is it's it's the law she's she's confessing to and, and he can't once that's happened it, it is what it is i i think there's yes dread actually absolutely is is a hard ass um i wouldn't consider him a lovable guy at all but it's there there's no gray areas it it it, it is what it, i mean it it's i it's not the same as a Green Lantern, because especially Hal Jordan, who, yes, should, you know, he's a space cop and he does what, what the Guardians want. But obviously, over the years, stories have come out where, you know, he's still, he's got his, he's got strong willpower. It's, it, he, he knows what the Guardians would want the Lanterns to do, but that's not always what's right. And, and it's, so he, Dread is, is definitely, in a hard line in that regard. And, and I, I don't, maybe part of it is, is the escapism aspect of it. it it's, it's a character. It, it's kind of like the Punisher. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't, I personally don't know anybody who dreams of being the Punisher. It's like, ah, you know, of all the heroes that I, I've read and wanted to, you know, live up to. And, and, you know, here's Superman with the hope and, and, and Spider-Man with the stick And I'm going to be like the Punisher because he doesn't take no crap and he gets to shoot people. It, it, that's, I, Dread isn't somebody I think anybody is reading and says, yeah, that's, that, that's the kind of, that, that's, that's my role model. That's who I want to be like. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's the extreme aspect of it. And it's, I think that might, as far as where I look at it, 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 it plays a part into um and i i also like that the stories are each chapter in a prog is is six seven eight pages long and and, sure. and it's sometimes very easy, that's, very easy. exactly so it's, it's just it's you're not you're not reading 40 pages a month of well you kind of are you're not you're not reading 40 pages in a row of, of of this one character and and where it's just it's it's you know the bite-sized chunks probably helps in that regard i think Dread is the perfect cop. Yes. Because unflinching adherence to the very letter of the law is what makes him a great cop. Because he does not see skin color. Mm -hmm. All he cares about, if a perpetrator is breaking the law, doesn't care if they're black, white, green, purple, you are now a perpetrator. He's not going to come up to you if 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 you're just standing in the middle of a, 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 a standing at a street corner because you're black he's not going to beat you down thinking you've done something once he knows you've done something then dread will act on it but that and and how many times have you read judge dread reprimand a fellow cop for squeaking by a rule or a regulation mm-hmm. right oh my god you didn't uh uh consult this department you're supposed to do that consider yourself detained you're 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 in detention like he doesn't care if you've been on the force for a week or 20 years if you don't follow protocol dread's gonna call you out and and i think that complements the fact that i believe dread is not a racist dread does not give a shit about skin color you 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 do not walk that line and that's when you become a target not you know, he doesn't assume, he doesn't profile. Mm-hmm. Well, right. No, I, I, I agree with what you're saying there. He's clearly not a bigot or, or a, he doesn't play favorites or, or he's not racist. I, 100%. Uh, 
Uh, but I guess for me, it's like, I, and maybe again, because I'm just happen to be reading it right now, like a lot of the pushback on the police system, though, is not the impetus for the current pushback is mistreatment of black men. Yes, but sure. But also it's a much bigger issue of pushing back on the militarization and overfunding of the police in general as a as an entity, because and it's not as though black police officers or female police officers are getting a pass here they're they're understandably also being criticized for their behavior and their complicity in allowing bad actors i mean one of the i believe one of the, I could be wrong but i believe one of the four people involved in floyd was a woman right a female cop um but my point is is that so to me it's like yes he's not a bigot for sure like cool but like he is like the definition of the like militarized police state and I mean, I would think we live in a world where we want cops to to have nuance and understanding, right? Like, like, dude gets pulled over with a with a joint. Like, I mean, maybe the circumstances you let him off with a warning because he's a good person and doesn't have any priors, and you're like, I'm not going to ruin this person's life. You hope you live in that world, not a like, oh, well, you have a joint, like you're going to jail for 20 years. It is what it is. Sorry. Like, so, I, like, I guess I was reading it thinking, like, wow, like this is a night, like this is what we're protesting every day like we don't want the police to turn into this and we feel like we're on our way to that so but, uh, conversely if dread saw excessive force being used or in in the case of current events if if it's not protocol to use tear gas on protesters yeah. dread would not stand for it he would well, he would re- reprimand everyone that used excessive force on whatever squad he was he was seeing sure. that that's I mean, the thing there's a story there's a story i read where uh in another uh, Prague where he he that he he acknowledges the use of lethal force for 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 what's effectively a fast and the furious race like a bunch of sky surfers so like again like there yes you could say he doesn't break the rules but the rules here are pretty draconian they're like you know you jaywalk you could go to jail for 20 years you you know, you slap someone, you're going to get killed. Like, it right? Is, yeah. Dredd didn't. So, yeah, like, but he didn't write the rules. He just enforces them. Right. That's no. The thing. Like, I they, agree. I guess it's just like I'm trying to figure out like what's the charm in him? Like, like is he with Frank Castle? Like Frank Castle is. If you buy into Frank Castle, you buy into him because you view him as a completely broken, torn soul. Right. Like he was a a war hero who came back and saw his family brutally murdered, and he snapped. So you go and accept him. He's insane, but you kind of are like rooting for him because he's taking out horrible people. With Dredd and his cohorts, like he's not insane, or at least we're not supposed to think of him as insane. And he's just taking down like average citizens most of the time. Like, like it's not like he's going against like people that are trying to destroy the world most of the time. Like he's arresting thieves or people that are selling drugs or using drugs. Like it's just like. Again, it is more like the police state coming down as a as a as a mechanism to to keep people oppressed. Um, sure, the the penal system is an industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And logical extrapolation in this sci-fi futuristic city, money needs to be raised, right? right, right uh, and right. so they're going to find a bunch of draconian laws to fuel that penal system to get the revenue flowing. And uh, it's, it's not right, but you know, uh, as, as a person who has very malleable um, beliefs and, and, and I admire dreads unflinching 
adherence to what's on that mm-hmm. paper. And you know, and I'll be uh, totally honest. I think he looks damn cool doing it. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. th- these are escapist fantasies. For sure. uh, has Dread ever been depicted as being wrong in in a, a comic? Sure. Uh, but he's not wrong in the shadow of the law. We determine he's wrong because he may have done something that was, you know, not very cool. But uh, like it, there's a – well, I don't want to bear the lead, but he, he does something uh, in in a time of what he sees as war that could be determined as justified. Mm-hmm. Um not in terms of the Geneva Convention, but in terms of Dredd's world, maybe he he felt it was justified. Um, I I don't struggle with my love for Dredd because sure. to to me it's a fantasy, mm-hmm. and yeah, and I, 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 I wouldn't I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm not saying like why do you like Dredd? I'm saying I'm fascinated <laughs> at the idea that not just you, but I think most of our friends in comics love Dredd, and and I I I am intrigued by that because I I think if he were like he represents everything about a world that we would be horrified to, and and there, I'm not saying like again like we wouldn't want to live in a world where alien like we're, we're the, like the, in the aliens universe right, but we've all enjoyed aliens comics and like we wouldn't want to live in a world where uh, there are uh, you know supernatural mass murderers and we all love our horror comics. So I'm not I'm not suggesting it's an impossibility to thoroughly enjoy stories about a character or world that you would find aberrant if you were forced into it totally get it but i just i may i think it's just because of of the fact that we're reading it right now that i'm thinking oh it's interesting i mean we're basically up in these streets every day against a militarized police state and these are stories that are all about a militarized police and it's it's just fascinating to me the dichotomy of being able to enjoy these in a pure like purely for the entertainment without letting the uh, the undertone seep in. And I'm presuming, because of when they were written and who they're written and drawn by, that this was more of a satirical look at the future than, a, oh, I hope we have this future. But even that, like, this was a... I mean, this has been going on for what? I mean, this, this these characters have been this way for decades. So it is interesting to me. And I wonder how they must feel now because they were pretty prescient. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and it must be probably really disheartening for them, I think, right? I would much rather see Dread walking towards me than uh, a traditional police officer. Because with Dread, I know <laughs> that if I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm going to have no quarrel with this dude, and he's not going to have one with me. He's going to walk right by, probably totally ignore me. Mm-hmm. But if the, um, the the shifting emotions of human beings do not play with dread, cop wakes up, is, finds out his wife cheating on him, has a real shitty day. I'm going to take it out on the next guy I saw. I see dread's not going to do that because that doesn't factor into the law. That's that's right, right. not in the book. So at least you don't get the um, crapshoot where. Outside forces can determine his actions, not dreads, but uh, a policeman's actions where it's not supposed to be that way. You know, your mother could have died this morning. You have to go. If you decide to go to work, you have to perform your duties 
within the the brackets of the law and and right. the, you know the constraints therein so uh yeah i would much rather see dread than a a, a, a a quote normal police officer yeah i guess we do like our rules with our anti-heroes right like because again getting back to that bring out the punisher the punisher has rules right he yeah. he only kills people that he feels are evil now he decides but right and, and depending on the writer sometimes they make him more like a like a nutto and he'll like want to kill anybody that breaks a law other times it's more like i want to kill mobsters and rapists and anyone that that or people that we would almost all universally agree are horrible people sure um but he won't kill heroes he won't kill innocent people um and 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 i think we use that to kind of get past the fact that he's a mass murderer right like we're like oh okay and and that's that's any vigilante story right it's like well the ends justify the means um yeah, no, it's and you bring up a good point, Vince. Like he, he is, he is, in, he is in a weird way the embodiment of rule of law, and uh, based on the stuff that our patrons will never or our listeners will never hear that we talked about before we recorded. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that most people buy into the rule of law pretty heartily. Like they, they generally want the rule of law. So, yeah. Well, without it, you have just chaos, and yeah, and that's and 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 by the way, I should I should say because this probably sounds. I, like I didn't find him distasteful reading this. Like I, I think it is a very quick read. I think they're entertaining stories largely. I think the art is spectacular almost throughout. I mean, I, I don't, as you noted, there's a ton of different art styles through all these books, but or stories. But, but I mean, uh, it's all fantastic. So I, like, this is a, a triumph artistically that they were able to have this group of of creators do these uh, stories for that many years. But, um. But but I, I but as I did read it, I did think like, well, I don't really, I don't like, I don't find him, I don't find for a book that's called Judge or stories that are called Judge Dread, I don't find Judge Dread all that particularly interesting. Like I find the the story interesting because it's often a morality play or it's got some kind of ironic or comedic ending. Uh, but the character himself to me is really just a vessel for this idea that the rules are the rules. True. True. Um, hence the creation of Judge Anderson. Right. Right. It, I don't think Dredd is on his own is that compelling a character uh, to uh, propel him through 30 years of stories. It's it's the scenarios into which he's placed and the people with which he encounters some of them on a regular basis, like Judge Anderson. Uh, that's what makes the interplay between this rock solid, rigid, authoritarian, no nonsense cop and someone like Judge Anderson, who does not walk the same walk as Dredd, right? So, I mean, to to uh, a point, she does, but you know, she's she's had her her uh, her adventures, let's just say. Um, but I. I the the compelling thing and and I could never do this in my life uh, is to adhere to something so steadfastly that you never ever waver because like we were talking about before there's gray areas to to everything more or less right and they don't exist for dread he only sees right. in, in in two tints black and white mm. yeah interesting I, I'm mm. You just got me thinking. I, 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 I think a lot of things are not 
black or white, but I don't think I can grok with you on the idea that there's nothing that I believe is black or white. I, I do think there are certain rules I live by that I view as unassailably important to stick to. Okay. Well, I mean, let, let's... I'm not saying you have to. I'm no, let's I, just I create, and create a scenario. Um, there, there's a speed limit in Mega City 1, let's just say. And this car, oh, okay. this car just blows by just going twice the speed limit. Dread mm-hmm. pulls them over. There's a man driving. His wife is in the backseat bleeding out, right? Dread would apprehend that guy. No question right. he would apprehend no, that I guy. No, I get what you're saying. Right. Um, somebody, sh- you know, is it, I think there's a black and white in the, fa- in, 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 there is a number of situations in which maybe black and white applies. If somebody shoots a baby point blank in the face, that's pretty much black and white, right? But yeah. that's, that may also makes for a very boring story. Like say, sure. the, say the baby was, uh, had a, a very contagious f- virus or something and, this dude was doing the entire world a favor by shooting this baby point blank in the face. Mm-mm-mm. Nope. Not in Dred's world. You know? Uh, it's, it's a little sticky wicket, right? Yeah, uh, You'd be pulled over for one joint. In Dred's world. Right, right. And, yeah. and right, right, right. No, you make a very excellent point, though, because if we're playing it out into my comparison of the real world police state in our world, depending on who you are, what you look like, the color of your skin, your age, what happens when you get pulled over that joint varies greatly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like, I'm with you on that. Like his singular unyielding vision of the law is different than like the world we're living in. Um, but I still would point that out that like it's a pretty horrendous world that like he's right. he, he is enforcing right like he is yeah. enforcing a pretty shit. I I, I think the the recent protests would be a much different thing if Dread was on the case. Yeah. Um, if if uh, citizens are afforded the right to protest and journalists are hands off in such situations, there I would think that there would be a lot more cops arrested than uh, protesters under Dredd's watch had he been a cop. Right. In- and to your point, Dredd often in his history, and we certainly even saw it in the films, like he will take other judges to task. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. Without, trouble, yeah. So, without yeah. So, question. No, I'm getting it. That's why I'm glad we brought it up because I'm trying, like now you're kind of making the point like that's, so it is his, basically it's that his, his positioning is unassailably pure and that is almost impossible. So the fact that he is, that's what makes him an interesting character is that he just is – he is basically just the living embodiment of the rule of law. He's he's like and, the, the oversight uh, committee, whatever it's called, within the police force. Like yeah. I'm going to report you to IUD or whatever the hell they call it. Is he more equal in like his role than other judges? Like is he senior to Judge Anderson like in role or just experience? I know that he's – he he's um... – He'd be like the general of the rock, the locker room. He, he, um, I'm pretty sure he, cause he's not chief justice. Obviously he's not chief judge. He, um, I don't know how that ranks with the, the side force and, and the, the, the side division. Um, so I think I, I have no idea what, it, do they even have ranks Vince? I think it's more it's of a, judge. if it, it's more of a legacy and a respect thing. Okay. Right. Well, yeah, obviously, I, obviously a cadet, 
does not have right. the same rank as as a seasoned judge. But um, as far as like stripes and and rank, I'm I don't ever think I've paid attention to that. Yeah, I I don't recall in any of the stories I've read. I I think I mean I know that um, getting back to to how things would be if if dread actually exists. I don't the need for the protest probably wouldn't be so apparent because with dread involved we wouldn't have needless deaths because of 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 a scared cop that that uh, fearful of something that doesn't exist and and so there aren't judges at least dread is dread's going to bring you to jail but very i don't know there aren't too many stories that i recall reading where the sentence was death everybody's pretty much sent to to jail sent, sent to an iso cube i i don't i i don't know how many laws actually say um you're you're going to die in in the world of of judge dread the the um so you wouldn't and i don't know how exciting the stories would be if if the um if people went to their legislators and, and, and said, we demand the laws change because I can't, I, if I get caught speeding because my wife is pregnant, I'm trying to get her to the hospital. I, I shouldn't serve a prison term for doing that. So obviously, cause dread is, is upholding the law and that's what the law is. Um, that that's just, listen, this is, it's cut and dry. This is how it is. It, it's, we all just, the people and in, in the citizens have to, live within those areas and, and you do see there are that there are a couple of stories especially with the um with with uh slick that uh there are people who do try to get away with things and and uh skirt the law where where they can um we live in in a world where advantage is taken over the law constantly based yep. on uh socioeconomic s- stature um, who's your daddy, uh, you know, what you know about another person, um, blackmail, right? So that, to not have that in the world would be a wonderful place where my Uncle George uh, once saved uh, your grandfather from whatever. I think you owe me. I, no, you don't. No. No. No, you don't. You, you because what you're doing is you're exploiting the fact that someone in your lineage helped another person that he shouldn't have helped, right? Um, I, I just, I just think that he is the the template for a great law um, officer. Some people may interpret it as a fascist um, approach, but. Uh, the logs is for a reason. Yeah, no, right? this is this is how I mean it, to put it practically bluntly. I mean, this is how cops should behave. This is the law. This is what you're upholding. So if I'm if 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 I break the law, then yes, I should be held accountable. I I'm responsible for my actions. I should face the fines of, of based on what I did. So so dread is the ultimate cop. He's he's just doing what he's supposed to do. And, and right. But you you can get draconian with your laws, as as we're seeing now, where just the most ridiculous enforcements are being uh, readied. And okay, it's Tuesday afternoon, and you're on the right side of the street, breathing the wrong air. You've you know that like there are, there are ridiculous laws on the books, right? I, I think in Pennsylvania you can't catch rainwater 
You can't collect rainwater. I'm, I'm not telling. I'm not. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. Like in New Jersey, it's illegal to um, to uh, collect roadkill beyond like after a few days. Yeah. Yeah. So and, like, how are you supposed to know how, what day it is? Right. Like, how are you? <laughs> and and I didn't. You see? I didn't know this, but when I had my grass planted, I have a well, so I'm I'm not going to waste a ton of water watering sure. grass. What I did was yeah. I got I got two fifty gallon drums and I collected my rainwater. Yeah, we had a rain barrel. Yeah, yeah, and and well. and my neighbors like you know that's illegal. I'm like, well, that's... fuck them because this is my property and I'm going to collect my friggin' rainwater if I want to, but it is illegal. Right. So if Dread came knocking on my door and said, "Come on, you're coming with me." He's not wrong. Right. But it's a silly freaking law. Sure. So I'm interpreting the law as I see fit. That's on me. But he is saying, all right, look at this. You collected rainwater. You're going to jail. Okay. I guess you got me. It's a stupid law. But anyway, back to Judge Death. Did you put the two? Back to Judge Death Lives. All right. It's a sequel to the 1980 introduction of Judge Death. And that little scenario also heavily involved Cy Judge Anderson because she became possessed by death. But she managed to scupper his plans by imprisoning herself and, as a result, him in a solid block of Boeing. <laughs> Boeing, Boeing is this, this miracle plastic uh, in, in the world of dread that uh, you can squirt it and it just encases whatever it is. It's, it's instant, instantaneous. It hardens. It's not brittle, but it, it hardens to a point where you know you can uh, capture whatever it is you're you're uh, squirting this stuff at. So it starts off with a public tour of the Hall of Heroes, uh, specifically the Judge Anderson Supreme Sacrifice exhibit. They have taken Anderson's body, encased in this block of Boeing, and they've put it out for everyone to see. Look at this woman's sacrifice. She gave her, quote, life. She's still alive within the block, but she gave her existence to stop this nefarious judge death. Isn't she wonderful? Yes, she is. But a man from the group hides until everyone leaves, and he uses the laser cutter to open the block of Boeing, thus freeing judge death. So what does judge death do? He does what he does. He piggybacks on this Mitzen character, as he returns to his apartment in Billy Carter block. And that's one of the things I love best about Judge Dredd's universe, that these blocks, that they have these mega tenements with tens of thousands of people living within them are named for the most dumbass, deplorable, fringe characters from pop culture. Like, this is Billy Carter block. There's a Sonny Bono block. Like, just yeah. I'm not saying Sonny Bono is deplorable. There's but, a Marx Brothers uh, group in another. Hey, yeah, hey now. Yeah. Um, so he goes back to his apartment in Billy Carter block, and he finds his wife dead at the hands of the other three dark judges. In case you're paying, you don't know who the other three dark judges are. They're Fear, Fire, and Mortis, and Death mm -hmm. Makes Four. Um, so with the dark judges, life is a crime. The very fact that you exist is a transgression against the law because only the living commit crimes. So therefore, if you're alive, you have the potential of uh, committing a crime. So we'll just extinguish you, no crimes. So back in Dead World, they killed everybody. They extinguished all life. So 
to stamp out crime. It's a solution. It's not the right one. Um, so that the judges duped Mitzen into believing they would help his wife. Never, ever trust the dark judges. So they worked their dark science magic on Mitzen's corporeal form, and Judge Death lives again. It's the dark judges have this portable psychic wave generator thing, and uh, what it does is it surrounds Billy Carter Block with a force field, trapping all of the people in with them and keeping all of the judges out. So they start killing the inhabitants. Dredd thinks that the the 70,000 inhabitants of Billy Carter Block only have Judge Death to worry about. But Judge Anderson arrives to tell him that there are more nasties on the prowl with him. Because Anderson, having had Judge Death trapped in her mind and body for a period, is intimately familiar with Death and Dead World and all the things that go on there. So she's like, uh-uh, there's, there's three more. Um, luckily, it's a psi field, and Anderson is pretty damn formidable in that area, so she manages to fend off the force field long enough for her and Dredd to get through, and Judge Death immediately knows she's arrived, because he's been with her, right? He knows. He, he senses her, her presence. Um, Dredd and Anderson take Judge Fire off the table. They, they down him under a massive amount of concrete. Uh, and they head to Mitzen's apartment because uh, they got to destroy this Seifield generator and let all the other judges in to help them. They're not going to be able to best the dark judges on their own. I mean, Dredd's pretty damn formidable, but against these guys, they're going to need help. And they enter Mitzen's apartment and Judge Fear, who has a power much like the penance stare, uh, from Ghost Rider, where he gazes into your eyes and you you, you gaze into the face of fear and um, you basically shit your pants and you're putty in his hands. But um, he tries that, that face of fear on Dread, and it doesn't work because <laughs> we, we, we were talking, one of the greatest panels ever. Ever. It's a, it's a, a, a wide <laughs> horizontal where the judge screams at him, gaze into the fist of dread, and pushes punches his fist right through Judge Mortis's face and out the other side. It is like one of the panels that hooks itself into you and you never, ever forget it. it yeah. It's just a wonderful freaking panel. And it's so over the top, gaze into the fist of dread. Like Mr. Kitsch. Um, Anderson uses incendiaries on Judge Fear, and Dredden and she destroy the generator, and all the assault squads pour into Billy Carter Block. Um, and the assault squad is too much for the dark judges, mm-hmm. and they flee back to Dead World with their tails between their legs, but it's not over because it's not enough for Judge Dredd. He wants to take the fight to them and destroy them where they live. Uh, Dread pillages the corpse of of uh, fear, and he finds this weird globe thing. And uh, Anderson says, "That's a dimension jump, and we need that thing because that's going to get us to Dead World." Um, they use the globe to waltz right into Dead World, and Anderson is immediately assaulted. 
by the the psychic residue of all the dead souls, an entire planet of dead souls screaming in her brain for vengeance. These despicable judges killed us just because we were alive. We want payback. And she goes down like she can she has to put up her defenses because it's just crushing um all of these these various voices in her brain uh but the judges they bat dread and anderson around like like ragdolls uh and they move in for the kill when anderson uses what just attacked her all of those people the resonance in her brain she uses that and she turns it back on the dark judges she goes all super saiyan she's turbocharged and she blasts all this psychic energy back at the dark judges and she basically reduces them to a smoldering pile of metal ash and bones and and claims she needs a vacation and dread's like yeah you know what i think i may take one too which is complete and utter bullshit because dread doesn't do vacations um but it it's a classic story it's very that's a comic i want to read is dread on vacation vacation? yeah Yeah. i don't know about that But I mean, like I said, it it the setup is is basic. The it, it doesn't go on forever. It's nice and terse, and it says everything that needs to be said. The the um, splash of the dark judges is horrific. You gotta gotta give it up for um, Boland. I mean, the just the the shadows are impeccable. It's wonderful, iconic for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I've always been attracted to Judge Anderson. Sure. Well, sure. And not in a pervy way. Oh, okay. No, I mean, yeah, she is very <laughs> physically. She's she's a, a a picture. But I think to hold your own with dread, that mm-hmm. deserves respect. I mean, that's freaking attractive. When um, traditionally a gender that is looked down upon by the males. To stand up to one of the toughest, hardest, rock-solid, rigid bastards on the planet, that's saying something. You you have yeah. won my attention, if you could do that. Um, that takes fortitude, man. She's, she's, yeah, she's wonderful. Now, I don't know if you know, like, again, this is something maybe you don't even know the answer to, but with all the different case files, the Apocalypse War, which this, this book ends on, ran from Prague's 245 to 270. And Minus one. Massive. Yeah, that's one I that's one I read. No, I know, but I'm, what I'm saying is 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 that the longest single Judge Dread story in history? Hmm. Good question, but I don't think so. Really? I think I think Cursed Earth was longer, wasn't it? Or uh, uh, Judge Child Quest may have been longer because they got a the Judge Child Quest was reprinted, and I think the series was twelve issues at least. So Cursed Earth was Prague sixty one through eighty five. So what? That's uh, no, that's yeah, that's yeah. close. So close. So there may be about yeah, so similar size. Okay. Uh, but you don't. I mean, in in this kind of format, you don't notice it. But if you're reading this weekly, and it yeah. takes a half a year to half complete year. this story, then you're gonna yeah, that's be what like, I was thinking. Like, yeah. Wow. This is a, a long ass story, but it, in in terms of the apocalypse war, it, there's not a lull. I love that Carlos did the because because Block Mania, the the story leading up to it, that had a few different artists on on the few chapters that was, but but Apocalypse War, all twenty five are Carlos. 
Yeah, and they weren't thinking about trade paperback collections. No, no, no. You know, screw that. They're just like, let's keep it uh, consistent and and uh, self-contained. Get the one guy to do it, and I'm sure he was happy to do it. I'm I'm putting words in Mr. Escara's mouth. There uh, is a, rest um, in peace. There is a, a 2000 AD documentary on um, Amazon Prime where they do talk to. It's a few years old, obviously. They talk to Carlos and and, and a few of the other guys that were there. It is extremely entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, a lot of insight, too. They love yeah. their jobs. They really do. They absolutely love their jobs. And and you you can feel that in the comics. I think so. Uh, maybe not so much now. Um, like I said, current 2000 AD, I read it. I love it. But there's peaks and valleys in it where you go, you take a look back at 2000 AD from like 1982 to about 1992 that's the golden age. Everything is great. I mean, there's not a bad strip in the bunch. It's just firing on all cylinders. Before they were finding their their legs, their sea legs. After I think they realized they had a juggernaut on their hands, at least in terms of of Great Britain. Um, and and I will say they are not reluctant to try different things. Uh. Sometimes they fail, but I admire them for giving it a shot, you know, um, where, say, Marvel's not that likely to just give it up for, um, you know, shaky cane, try something. Uh, is this going to sell? That's the first question. And, and I know that's the impetus for publishing in the first place. Is it going to sell? But I think Rebellion has taken a lot of chances over the years. On, on various strips uh, to their benefit. Some of them worked resoundingly well. Others, nah, not so much. But then you don't see them anymore. If if reader feedback is not at least at a certain level, they won't continue the, the stories about whatever character it was that didn't garner massive praise in the first place. So uh, it, it is a popularity contest, and they are in it for the money, but I... Long story, very, very short. I think they are much more willing to try different things. Oh, yeah. And switch it up when they when they feel like it. Look at ABC Warriors. The Clint Langley stuff looks nothing like the original days. Like, say, Robusters and, and ABC Warriors. You, you would almost think it was a different strip. Because you have traditional pen and ink and color. And then you have Clint Langley, who's like, he's, he's almost too real in, in his work. So, yeah, I, I, I love everything about Rebellion and 2080. They're like one of my sacred cows. They're unassailable to me. They, they do have their faults and they do stumble once in a while, but I'm not taking any shit. If, if you say something bad about Rebellion, I'm going to stand up for them. I, very rarely do I do that with, with a comic book company. But Rebellion is one of those untouchable. You, you're not going anywhere near these guys if I'm, if I'm around. But who the hell am I, right? So what's next? Jason read Volume Nine instead of Volume. I did. F- well, that's I okay. Did the, I did read this. I was able to read this story that we just discussed, and uh, but I, I was not able to read Apocalypse War because it's really, it's really long it's very so. long. But uh, you can tell us about what you did read. That's fine. You're keeping okay. it in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So apologies, everybody. I. I, I yeah, I just got my, my signals crossed, and I read Complete Case Files Volume Nine. <laughs> um, um, and and uh, the story I was going to um, 
uh, I was going to pick was a story uh, in Prague 460 called Letter from a Democrat. And the reason is because it was considered a sea change uh, in the book after all these years, or in the, in the characters after all these years, because Alan Grant was getting a little frustrated with his view of uh, Dredd being uh, beloved, even though he was a fascist, in his opinion. This is his words, not mine. So he writes uh, this story, a letter from a Democrat. It was right in the middle of this volume. Um, and um, it was just a, a, a really risky thing because, uh, in essence, the story revolves around um, – uh, it's short. It's it's one prog. So it's like Dap was saying. It's like six, seven pages maybe. Uh, and it's narrated by the mother of um, of, of two little kids. Uh, and she basically gets Dread to kill her um, to make herself a martyr for this uh, this movement, this political movement that she's a part of, the dem- the democracy movement. Um, and it, it's one of those things where. Um, Grant felt like he wanted to call attention to the fact that the judges are doing terrible things to maintain their power uh, and no one's doing anything about it. And so this calls, this calls attention to it. And there's a line that, uh, that uh, where it says, what kind of mother could stand by and see her babies grow up into frightened, beaten people like us. Uh, and, and it was just, a, it was at the time, from what I understand, it was just this incredible, like uh you can hear a pin drop, like you walk into the bar and everybody turns and looks and the party stops because they were like, what? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, it was so, it was such a departure. Like, what do you, like, what's happening here? Like, this isn't the dread that we've been reading for all these years. And, um, and, and even now, like I was reading an interview with him relatively, and he, he was like, I, I'm really glad I did it, but I, I don't know that like everybody else was glad I did it because it, it opened the door to portraying dread and the judges in a completely, uh, versus being an antihero. It, 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 pointed out that they're actually deplorable. They're not, there's nothing, there really aren't anything that you can, there's nothing beneficial about them. And, uh, and he's like, and, and, and so sometimes they would be portrayed that way from that point on. And sometimes they would be portrayed in the way that they had been portrayed before, which is a bit of a more of like, no, it's just, he's just enforcing the law and the law is the law. And there's a purity to that. But, um, but yeah, I was quite moved by that. Um, um, John Higgins is the artist on that. So, I wouldn't say like artistically it's it's the best story uh, or at least visually it's not the most engaging of of the of the stories but uh but it really was quite Im- impactful and I thought just again prescient relative to where we're at now and that story was probably written in 85 cuz case files 9 was 85 86 so based on where it is in the in the in the book it's kind of like right before the middle I'm guessing it's probably 85 um but I thought what's interesting about the the case files 9 um versus uh, five is that um, because five has the apocalypse, because that one story is, takes up like a third of the book, there's much a lower number of stories. And in nine, there's really no super long story. So, I mean, there's I think 31 or 32 different stories. Um, and it really does run the gamut. I mean, you get like there's a story in there that I'm, I don't, that would probably love. I, I'm, I'm sure it was, it was motivated by the, by the um, triplets from Star Trek. Tribbles, <laughs> tribbles, not tri- tribbles. The tribbles, because it's called the Griblings, and it's about it's basically the tribbles. There's these two cute like gizmo looking dudes, and this has been before the Gremlins came out, so I'm sure it was their own thing. But that's why I think it came from from the tribble from the. But uh, these two little Gremlin looking dudes, and of course they they're in separate cages, but then they get out of the cages. And next thing you know, there's thousands of them because they replicate so quickly, and then they're carnivorous and the whole thing. And it was kind of a funny story. And then there's a story called Zombies where. And I don't know if there's if, if this idea of zombies exists prior to the story. I presume it does because they, they kind of allude to like it's a well-known thing. 
the zombies aren't really like zombies that we as we think of them. They're apparently artificially grown life that they use for menial tasks and servitude, but they're drawn to look like robots, like cyborgs, really more than zombies. But they call them zombies because they have no, no very they have no higher brain function. Um, and uh, it's about some of the judges having to be defenders of these or caretakers of these zombies, and they're, not, and they're debating whether it makes sense to do that. What's the point of it all? Um, so I just yeah, I found this to be a very volume nine was really quite political, and and there's a there's a story in there called Mega Man, not not our boy from Capcom, Vince, but it's just a dude that's dressed like Superman. He's got a cape. He's going around uh, fighting crime, and he's proclaiming that we don't need the judges anymore because. There's a better solution, but it turns out that Mega Man is just a dude in a bodysuit, and he's acquired a bunch of different weapons and technology from different places and bolted them all together to kind of be like an Iron Man that looks like Superman. And, of course, Judge Dredd ends up beating the shit out of him and shooting him dead and uh, and then peeling the suit off of him. And you see this guy is, like, super skinny, almost almost like skeletal skinny. And Dredd's like, all right, let's take pictures of this and send it around so people see, you know, basically be like, this is why you need the judges. Um yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I thought it was it was really interesting. Um, there's a Christmas story in there uh, where they arrest Santa Claus, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, yeah, so there was, there was a lot of humor in the, in, in the, that volume um, and quite a lot of political posturing. There's one called the Lemming Syndrome where literally for some reason uh, a person st- gets an urge to kill themselves and next thing you know thousands of people are following suit. They don't know why it happens, but Dread it baffles Dread, and he gets livid about it, and he's always trying to prevent them, but he never can. And then he gets super mad that he couldn't prevent the next one. So, um, yeah, you know, just 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 lots of little anecdotes. There's a there, uh, there's there's I, I mentioned earlier there's the, the story. The book opens with a story called The Midnight Surfer, and it's basically a dude who um, is a, a, a like a, a sky surfer. He can in in this future you can su- use surfboards like Silver Surfer in in space or, or to fly. And he's he's the world's best surfer, but um, but unbeknownst to many, he he puts on a costume and covers up his board sponsorship and becomes a like again like a fast and furious uh, back backyard street surfer. And there's going to be this Cannonball Run event in Mega City, and Dredd and his crew find out about it. And they're trying to stop it from happening, and um, and Dredd is actually nice to a couple of the surfers because they're not lawbreakers, including this guy. Uh, but then they start the race and they uh, cause an accident. And after that, it's like shoot to kill, and you just fucking they murder them all. <laughs> they just murder all these servers. Like, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like as soon as they commit a crime, he's like, all right, shoot. Like they were committing a crime, so he's trying to arrest them. But then as soon as they cause an accident of of passersby, he's like, all right, shoot to kill, and uh, and he wipes them all out. So it's it's you know just just little anecdotes kind of get you to understand the world. Um, I think a very different volume um, than five for lots of reasons. Yeah. Um, so you made a, an interesting point. Um, if the law is draconian and fascistic, then dread by proxy will be draconian and fascistic. If, if there's an uprising that caused the, the laws to be rewritten in mega city one that says every Tuesday, Judges will dress in, in, in pink frilly dresses and hand out candy on every street corner. You can be damn sure that Dredd's going to put the, the dress right, up, right? Yes, right? Yes. So, I mean, he's only a mirror of the law. And that's right. – I, I, I don't want to disagree with Alan Grant, but Dredd is only, in his mind, a fascist because the law 
is is built on fascism. Sure. So uh, he's just a reflection of what he has pledged to um, protect and and uh, enact, right? Um, Dap, what'd you read? Yes. Uh, I, I read a bunch because I, I sent you guys the list of um, yeah of stories that that were um, the top of my list and and as I read through this volume, um, which ones I figured would would make for some um, <laughs> entertaining discussions, but um, one that I enjoyed, which was a little different. Um, is uh, is is one of the mega rackets at the beginning of this volume? Uh, it's crime file number two, the Perp Runners, and and it's a um, it's a multi part story, but uh, illustrated by Ron Smith, and it's it's a great looking it's a great looking story. Um, it starts off with uh, basically perp running is the illegal transportation of wanted criminals or perps to a place of safety off planet mega city one's alarming crime rate ensures there is never a shortage of customers for the fat cat racketeers who run the escape routes um and we're in story starts off with uh slick ike colorado uh who was a perp runner and the city's biggest uh, but now he, um, now that he's kind of made his way to the top, he, uh, he, he hasn't exactly admitted to being a perp runner. He made sure that nothing could ever, uh, touch him when it came time to catch those who were doing the running. Um, but he, he's chilling in the backseat of his chauffeured vehicle, uh, chewing on the best quality months gum and, uh, his, uh, he spits the gum out of um, of the vehicle, and and Drud unfortunately is is right behind him. Um, he says littering in the streets is an offense, so pick it up. And uh, the driver is about to, and and Dred's like, no, 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 you you spit it, you you're the one who's picking it up. And Ike's like, you should treat me like this, Dred. I'm a respectable businessman. And and Dred's like, yeah, we we all know what your business is, creep, and it's nothing but respectable. Um, so I'm letting you off with a caution, uh, because when you do go to jail, it's going to be for life. And um, and and so Ike gets driven off. Um, Dred's like, you know, I, I there's got to be a way to um, to take this dude down, or, or at least cut into his his profits a little bit, because business seems to be booming. So we find out that. Um, Dread, uh, well, Dread does some research, and there is a uh, there is a perp, um, Ice Pick Brown, who's uh, serving thirty years for multiple homicides, but he um, he escapes one evening, gets out of Mega Pen Fifty Four, and um, makes his way to uh, to a perp runner safe house, and he. Um, the perps get away uh, in in um, in months transfer um, vehicles, uh, lift hovercrafts, whatever you want to call them, ships. Uh, and because months apparently smells horrible, no one's going to open the containers, the tankers, and and inspect. So um, so they're able to uh, 
to get off world. But it turns out that Ice Pick Brown isn't actually Ice Pick Brown. It's actually Judge Dredd, who's been um, cosmetically fixed to look just like this uh, this convict. So um, the captain of the vessel, uh, or the skipper, he um, turns out that the perps are being transported off planet, but the planet they're being transported to is basically a prison camp. They're now slaves for aliens. And, um, and, and, and so the perp runners get paid coming and going. There's, they get paid by the perps that they're getting off planet and they're getting paid by the slavers who are paying for slaves. Um, but dread is one dread is it's found out that dread is actually ice pick Brown or ice pick Brown is actually dread. Um, he's chained up. He's, um, they're going to make his life miserable. Um, so the, what's neat is we get a nice little insight into how, um, how, how, uh, another sideline that the perp runners do is, um, it's called chump dumping. And uh, so basically what happens is after unloading the perps at, uh, at, at planets, um, they would post advertisements that would entice the local population, the local, the, the, the aliens on these planets. So uh, basically the, the posters would be like, come to earth. The aliens will be treated like gods. You'll be able to have whatever you want. It's paradise. Make a city. One can't be, can't be beat. Um, you can be a judge on earth and, and, and be in charge of, of millions of, of humans. Um, so the aliens look at this and, and, and it's unfortunate because the aliens kind of look like dolphins and, uh, they're all like, Hey man, we're going to be like gods on earth. So we'll have a really fun time. So they, um, they decide to pony up and they pay for transport back to earth since that's where the perp runners are headed back but um after they end up getting their money they open up the airlock and dump those chumps and all the uh all the aliens get uh they just drift off into um into space never to see earth so um while long story short dread ends up escaping um and uh, and it's found out that the um, what the perp runners are actually doing, who they um, that they are not, you know, they, they're not they're not trying to help anybody escape and, and and live a better life. They're strictly in it for the money, and they're screwing everybody over left and right. Um, and uh, because he's got to catch his man, he um, he dread barges into the life support systems room, jettisons the oxygen tanks and, uh, and basically says, you know, your ship's got three hours of air left. If, um, if, unless you radio that cruiser that was following us, that you escaped from, um, we're all going to die. So, um, they can either all suffocate here or you guys can head back home to earth and, and, and live your days in, in an isolation cube. Um, so they do. And, and so slick Ike doesn't, get caught he just gets hit in the wallet more or less so when, once he's back home on mega city one um he does bump in to slick ike says that um that, that, that's just a 
times must be bad. You got, uh, you know, you lost a ship and a crew, and it's going to set you back some plenty. And, and I was like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I, you, you got no evidence. You can't connect me with no perp runners. And um, and he's like, you know, maybe the law can't prove anything right now, but but those perps your crew sold as slaves are on their way back to Earth. Um, and they know who you are. And when they spread the word about your interesting little side racket, um, you, uh, I wouldn't want to be in your perp running shoes, is what he says. So uh, the, the, the story ends with all the perps that were taken to the planet. They overthrew um, the slavers and, uh, and, and are now making their way back to Earth. I don't know if we ever got a story um, where they get their revenge on Ike. But uh, it, it, it was one of those stories where the guy who you wanted to really see get his didn't. Um, but I, I, aside from the great art, I, uh, it was, you know, we never see Dredd's face. We never see him without his helmet on. We never see his face. But here, no helmet and wearing someone else's face completely. But it was a, um, it was, it was neat to see the story, see a story. Uh, a, a dredge story taking place for the most part in space. Um, and it was, I said, it was, it, it, it's just two chapters long, but it was, uh, but, but it's packed. I mean, there's some small panels there. There, there are some, I, Smith does not scrimp on, uh, on, on jamming these panels in with, uh, with all sorts of pretty pictures, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I enjoyed it. The Perp Runners was a, uh, was a fun little tale. And there's a ton of them in the beginning of the book. Yeah, the mega rackets. Yeah, yeah there's there, basically if, if you haven't read this, well, I, you know, get to it. But there, there a series of shorts that cover a broad range of topics: uh, organ transport, as David said, perp running. There's something called umpty bagging. Yes, which uh, it's an addictive candy called umpty. And it's it's contraband, and it's the story details the illegal manufacture and sale of it. There's contract killing, uh, unlawful use of uh, extra human mental powers uh, like psyching. There's numbers running, which in this world isn't uh, along the lines of what we would consider numbers running. This is more like computer code and passwords, which I guess would apply to to current life. Um, there's a an organism called the Stucky. Uh this uh, sh- kind of schmoo-looking weird creature um and it secretes an anti-aging substance that uh is uh very very uh, desirable but it's also illegal. So uh th- people uh raise these things and slaughter them for this substance and then later sell it. Um and again, all of these were written by T.B. Grover, which is, you know who that is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've read what I consider the showpiece of this collection only because it's over 170 pages. Um, and the draw for me was that it was completely illustrated by Carlos Esquera. It's the Apocalypse War. And as Jason said, it, it appeared in 2000 AD, Prog 245 to 270 minus Prog 268. And 
It's a story born out of the Cold War, which was raging when this story was written. Reagan was president. Uh, you know, Sting was hoping that the Russians loved their children too, and, and more bullshit. But um, there was a genuine fear that we would someday wake from our beds to a a volley of um, missiles, nuclear missiles from Russia. It, it was a very prevalent threat. And likewise, they, they thought that, you know, we, we wanted to wipe them out of existence. Nothing could be further from the truth, at least as far as the media reported. Um, so you have this, this omnipresent fear of the Russian bear, and that's basically what this story is. It, it, it catapults out of block mania. It's basically, in essence, it's Mega City 1 versus the Soviet East Meg 1. Simple, but it's crazy thick. There's so much going on in, the, in this story. Um, the Soviets instigated block mania to weaken Mega City 1. The civil war erupted for the sole purpose of knocking Mega City 1 down a few pegs, uh, squander and, and expend their resources, get all the judges on the streets, occupy their time and energy. It's kind of prophetic, right? Um, but stage two of their plan, which was Operation Apocalypse, is launched, and that's the, oper the operative word, forthwith. Because Chief uh, Supreme, we're talking about the Soviets, so it's Supreme Judge uh, Joseph Bulgarin launches a barrage of nuclear missiles at Mega City One, and the Soviet satellites destroy the Justice Department's satellite defenses, and they cross intercontinental uh, lines and they destroy. Missile silos in the cursed earth. They kneecap Mega City One. Before, you, like, this is such a story of its time, right? I mean, yeah, like, you got Star Wars and Reagan and Thatcher and like it, like, uh, I, I, I'm sure you, you're gonna, you're gonna see Vince with your kids, but like, I've tried to convey to my kids how incredibly consuming the Cold War was in the way that we think. Oh like, yeah. For, like we didn't have social media back then, we didn't have this omnipresent internet, which I think foments all of these fears, and yet we were still as fearful of nuclear Armageddon as like the average person now is fearful of, like whatever they're fearful of. Because, because <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Well, it because it's it's like it's like crappy horror movies next to the psychological thriller. It, it, you're more scared of what you can't see. Like as soon as as soon as you see some some creepy looking furry muppet that has shitty effects, that's not scary. But if you just hear the noise, if you hear some, so I mean, you're not knowing whether or not you're going to wake up to see some missiles coming at you. That's fear. But if you're going to bed reading Twitter, knowing what everybody's yeah. doing at this moment, is you don't need that's information overload and and. Sure. There's, too much shit to deal with but at least you feel safer knowing that i'm gonna get a heads up i mean like the whole indian summer thing i mean we mm -hmm. were watching everything happening we were part of it live on this side of the world but we were you know we were aware of what was happening then and now um but i mean if if we didn't have well, i feel like you couldn't have gone a day without like every because because again it was different times right like we all watched the same news you had three channels you watched one of the like right yep. right but like 
every news. I mean, I just remember as a kid, like I felt like every time I watched the news, there was some graphic about how we now had five times the missiles needed to blow up the entire world, right? Or, or yeah. you know, and, and it just it was just this in incessant, unyielding overhang in our lives. And on one hand, you were like, well, it is what it is. I mean, like we can't change it, so we just have to live our lives. But on the other hand, you also thought pretty much every day, like, wow, if the wrong person's in office on either side or we do something to piss each other off, like we could just wipe out the, and it was this weird, I don't know. Like, I think it, it was definitely a strange thing because it was very much a legitimate threat too. Right. Uh, and I, I was thinking about this relative to what we're dealing with now with the pandemic in that, in that you, while, while I think the three of us agree it shouldn't be a political issue, it is a political issue. Right. And you've got the, one side saying like, oh, you know, it's it's being overhyped and it's 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 being there's they're they're making you more fearful of it than you should be and blah blah blah. And then you've got the other side saying like it's 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 actually much much riskier than you guys are letting on. And I think about that now with the Cold War. I mean, I mean, I was convinced as a little kid that Russia and the Soviets were our enemies, and that Gorbachev was evil, and that. Like we were almost like by the grace of the gods, not going to get blown up. Um, and, you know, then fast forward to I'm a fund manager in my 40s and I share offices with a bunch of Russian fund managers who came from Russia to the United States to study and stayed here. And we've had so many fascinating conversations about what it was like for them growing up in Russia, hearing about the United States and how belligerent we were and how. Uh, self-righteous uh, we were and how it was more about our ideal ideals and actually making the world a better place, right? Like, like it's just, it's just this fascinating because neither side is wrong. It's, it's the perspective you, you're, you're approached with. So I think these stories are so of the moment, right? Whereas a lot of times science fiction can be um, more endemic of, of, of like what they think is going to happen. But I think in this case, this is very much a, a criticism or, or a, uh, or, or a, uh, a message of what is happening. Right. But back then the media was far more balanced than it is now. You, you I, didn't, I don't know that to be true. Well, you didn't because have an entire network skewing things but no, to a certain side. Democrats and Republicans, but the, you had our entire country's media almost completely portraying the Soviets and communism as sure. an evil ideology with evil people trying to destroy the world and we need to eradicate them and keep them at check. Like, which again is that was an incredibly slanted and wrong view. Like, like again, most of the people that lived in communist countries were just people, just people just trying to live. Right. Like they didn't have any control over their leadership. Like they were not bad people. They were just trying to live their lives. Right. Their lives. But how many retractions have you ever heard from your youth? Plenty. If, if, if a journalist got something wrong, or, or their 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 data was in error, you would bet the next episode or the next broadcast or, or around there, they would verbally, you know, admit, we got it wrong. Here's a retraction. You never see that now the, the, because there's no truth now. Everything is just skewed depending on what network you, you watch. And, and, you know, truth are lies and lies are truth. And it's just, there, there are, there's nothing now on which you can depend. You could depend on Dan Rather. You can depend on, on Walter Cronkite. Sure, they were following the scripts, but there was an integrity behind these gentlemen that you almost got the feeling that if they were asked to report something that they knew was not true, they would get up and walk away from the desk. Yeah. yeah that, it, there's none of that now. 
it's a well, really there's very few, because, very little. No, you're right. You're 100 right. Like it's a really interesting thing when you think about the journey that's gotten us to where we are with media, um, because the the and I know I'm going to sound like an old man, like back in my day, but but it's true. I mean, this is what I do for a living: is invest in these trends. The internet changed all that, right? Like very yeah. innocently, because it stopped being about being right or having a really thoughtful perspective. Because you guys know, like like in the old days, if you were um, if you were a TV news person or a, a a writer for a major newspaper, the most prestigious jobs were the investigative reporters. Your Woodward and Bernstein's, right? Yeah. The guys who were almost detectives and they were given leeway to spend days, weeks, months on a story because once they broke the story, it would A, be completely factually based and and universally accepted. And it would be a huge commercial seller for the – like if you were the one that broke the story, right? And, and then with the internet, we got into this, cha- this, strange, this strange change where it became – and again, it was very innocent and gradual. It wasn't like – Overnight, but it became a thing where being first with the news became important, and then it became as important, and right. then it became more important. Yep. And then it was like, oh well, I can remember this. Actually, I remember having a debate with our football guys people about this. With um, a couple, we we saw a couple because our we we're not, we have never been a news site, right? But like we we react to the news. So like, so and so quarterback gets hurt, we would react and say, this is what it means for fantasy, right? But I remember like years ago, uh, it seemed like there was like over a year or two, suddenly the news reports we were getting about players or who looked good or who looked bad or who was hurt was like starting not to be 100% valid. And then we'd see, to your point, Vince, like people come forward and say like, oh, yeah, about that story. Like we have to correct that. Like we were wrong about that. And we started remarking like, wow, there seems to be a lot more retractions now than there used to be. And then it was because it was about being first. So it was like, okay. It got to a point where the media outlets were like, all right, better to be first. And then if we have to correct it, so be it. But at least we're first. Right. Yeah. And then now, to your point, like now in 2020, we've gone so afoul where now it's like just be there yeah. with information. And there's enough people that have a particular bias uh, on on whatever. And I'm not just even talking politically, just whatever your bias may be. Faith versus non-faith. Science versus not science. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, there'll be enough people that there'll be eyeballs, right? Like, yeah. like, like, a, like, and and it's it's almost become evil in that they are so good at targeting. Like, they know so much about each of us that they know that they know what we want to see, and they know that we don't. We meaning collectively, we we don't really care if it's vetted or one hundred percent truthful. True. It's but yeah, but it's and, been a journey, right? It's been like a fifteen year journey. Yeah, but there was an adherence. To the truth back then. Yes. I mean, oh, the, the truth yeah, yeah. The truth brought Nixon down. Yep. Yeah, I, I yeah. did bad stuff. Um, uh, here's, you know, shackle me. Here's my wrists. Now, the truth is meaningless. Because once it's uncovered, uh, you know, you get a little song and dance and nothing happens. How have we fallen so far? Where, where the truth is meaningless. Yeah, and I don't think you ever get that back, by the way. No, you don't. Mm-mm. Barring no. like a um, – and I want to reread this, by the way. Maybe I'll reread it soon. Uh, like the private eye. Uh, barring something like that where we just get some kind of hacker or anonymous group that, that basically unearths all of our bullshit. I mean like, like everyone's bullshit. And it just makes us so fearful or disgusted at the idea of all of our business being out in the public that we become – 
incredibly protective of our information and 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 facts. But but that's I mean that sounds like fantasy. It's I, I can't imagine I can't imagine that actually happening. But that it would take something like that for us to get back to the point where we we all agree about what is real and what is not. It's true. But as I said on the on the Twitter, this was not an entertaining read. <laughs> it, 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 it was very traumatizing in some aspects to get through yeah. it because I saw just how closely some of the events in this story mirror what's going on today. And and I love to be pushed over that line. You know that. So w- w- when I say it wasn't entertaining, I don't mean that. I, don't, I mean entertaining in a traditional sense. Mm-hmm. Right. This wasn't Batman chasing the Joker. Right. The, these were these were events that in our world have real ramifications. And uh, the perfect illustration of of what was going on here. You have this this fascist asshole, Bulgarian from the, the Soviet uh, East Meg one and shit's going down and he's raining nuclear missiles on uh, Mega City one and the things it controls and he goes to hide in his command bunker, like all great leaders do, right? And he gets a report on the way to the bunker. And um, a Soviet judge comes up to him and says, well, we just got a report that approximately 12% of East Meg 1's population will die in the first Mega City 1 retaliation, right? And this Judge Vlad he said, that's really alarming. We got to tell the people, you know, they got to be aware of, of why they're making the sacrifice. And the Supreme Judge just soullessly utters, what do the people have to do with it? Yeah. Like, why do they matter? You know, and it's juxtaposed yeah. with something Dredd says, which is brilliant. Back in Mega City 1, Dredd exclaim something that is not too far removed from what the supreme judge says uh they're monitoring obviously the soviet attacks and a judge sighs that yeah, I, I better inform the citizens and dread replies what make you think what makes you think that they'd be interested right so the 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 socio-political commentary doesn't stab at only one side dread mm-hmm. dread's not cast in a very good light but he doesn't have a complete disregard for human life but right, joe right. does have a very cynical fatalistic view of the populace like why feed them facts when doing so is going to fall on deaf ears you know facts are useless and this sounded so familiar to me like dread realized that you're going to go to these lengths to tell the people that shit's going to hit the fan. They don't really care. Um, but I think what's worse, the, the manipulation and, and I guess you could say obfuscation of truth and the belief, the very belief that the public doesn't want the truth in the first place. That's really scary. That's extremely terrifying. And we see it every day. It's, it, we, see it, we, see a, we see a huge mass of people that will make excuses and stick their fingers in the, their ears and la, 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 for the sake of uh, deifying this guy 
who is blatantly, to anyone with half a brain, who's blatantly spewing lies constantly, almost pathologically, and they just don't, they don't register it. It doesn't mean anything to them. If I may, I'm with you 100%, but like I just would couch it as it's not just one side. I, I, I think most people are prone to want to be fed uh, information that feeds their pre-existing beliefs. Uh, and, and again, there's some great websites out there, if you all aren't aware, that, that do a good, good job of, of showing you the, the biases, um, both in terms of left versus right and factual versus non-factual um, media outlets. But let's be clear, I mean, most progressives spend most of their time getting the news from CNN. And CNN is far from innocent in sure the, yeah. in, in, in the in the jingoistic rhetoric but at least on uh, the surface it's not as ridiculous as the the bile well, but, again, uh, but again you got to be careful there because while we all maybe agree with that um fair is fair right if you're going to get caught with your hands in your in somebody else's pocket and, and 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 it's not just about what you're saying being factual or not it's also very much about what you choose to report on right so I'm just saying, you know where I ride politically, right? But, but I think, but 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 I just I, I think it is a much broader issue than. Are you asking me if if the far right is more prone to just outright lying? Of I believe that 100. percent I think it's backed up in the. I data, think but, they're more prone to accept the lie. I think but, there's more uh, scrutiny. On I, the, see, that's where I disagree. I think plenty of people on the left are more than happy to believe what they're told by sources they view as credible, and have very little interest in fact checking it. Because we see all the time now, people will post like, oh, and look, you know what, bluntly, even I'll fall prey to it sometimes. Someone, there was a meme going around where um, it was like uh, White House six years ago, White House now. And the White House six years ago was an actual picture <laughs> of the White House with Obama during gay pride with Pride Month. It was, a, you know, it was, it was pride colors, rainbow colors. The picture from now was a picture of the White House in fencing with barbed wire. Now, there is fencing on the White House right now, but not the barbed wire. And I shared it on Facebook, so that was clever. Um, but I thought it was a real picture, and it wasn't a real picture. And and then I was like, oh, I got to take it down because that's 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 fake news. That's and I exactly. But like Torquemada says, if we're going to keep it in the in the 2000 mm-hmm. AD universe, we need mm-hmm. to be vigilant. You, I think, right, ble- right. blessed are the people that will not accept facts from either side and check and and recheck you need sure. especially no you're right that's fair you got to be one to change your mind credit to eric donovan by the way our good friend and, and and talented creator he was the one that hit me up and said hey just so you know like obviously i roll with the idea that you're positing but it's uh it turns out it's a photoshopped image and i'm like oh respect and i took it down yeah so, and there was yeah. another photoshopped image recently of a, a bunch of supporters of trump Sitting there in their their pickups and their their monster trucks and waving the Confederate flag and there was this very obese man who had a tattoo of a swastika on his exposed belly and there was a woman who had a shirt on that said "Hey Trump or something grab my pussy" and it turns out that the swastika and the the T-shirt were never in the original image. Mm, yeah, that's probably. But not, that's yeah. feeding to the left. That's like, oh, look at these scumbags, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And, and and someone did their due diligence and traced that image back to the source, and it wasn't true. You, we need these people right now. Yeah, they, they're they're the, they're like the superheroes. Healthcare workers yeah. and and fact checkers are You're making are, a lot of good points tonight. I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> According to you, I'm I'm new woke, Vince. I'm like <laughs> classic. Coach. No, I just been on Twitter. I know you've always believed these things, but you yeah, you have yeah. to admit you've been far more active on Twitter in terms of 
social commentary than you have ever been. Because I've had enough. This is, no, I'm saying, but yeah. yes, I'm not. But I'm I'm applauding the fact that you're expressing your voice. Sure. My my my, and and I know we're restraining way. We are. <laughs> uh, but but in regards to 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 woke, Vince on Twitter, it this is, and I, I was actually I was I was thinking about how to phrase this tomorrow, but um, online. But it, it this is seeing seeing Vince seeing you so the vocal online on Twitter. Um, it's, it's, we've been, Jason, I, a bunch of us, we, we, we've been, you are saying things that we have been saying, and it's absolutely true. And it's great. And, and, and I love that you're there for it. And I'm happy it's happening because there have been times over the past three years, three plus years where, it can be a little tiring and, and, and you feel like you're getting nowhere. You're just, you're making noise. You're not, everybody's minds are already made up to wherever they're thinking. Right. So it's fine. Yeah. So, so it's, it might be cathartic to just spew it, but at the same time, it's like, this doesn't mean anything. Is this affecting anything? But then I see your tweets, Vince, and it's, and, and, and it reminds me that, we can't give up the fight. So I'm, if, if, if I ever feel like I'm, no one's hearing anything and, and, and it's, it's exhausting. And I just, I, I, I'll be quiet now knowing that others are others who may not be tired are still fighting. Therefore. Well, I think it's a good time for me to speak up because I haven't, in the past. And, and, and I'm we're 120 hope- odd days away to make a change. Yeah, I'm hoping that however many people follow me, if you pay attention, traditionally, uh, I was an apathetic slob. I, I, I freely admit it, right? But I see these things coming through where like, hey, you know what? The momentum's dying down. They're, forget about, they're forgetting about these things. We can't let them forget about it because these are things that really matter. Yes. Life, and, life and death. It's not... You know, this publisher fucked up and put a wrong cover on a comic book. Like, that's in- insignificant. Right. This is stuff that really matters. It's essential, right? Um, yeah. I, I'm. I, you know me. I, I am a staunch supporter of the truth. I need the truth. I must have the truth. The truth should burn you. It, you, it should singe you to the bone because then you know that it's real. It has yeah. import. It has weight. There's n- very little of that out there, uh, and and it just drives me crazy. I I need I want the truth. We I think we deserve the truth. But anyway, yeah. just back I, to I this. I believe that uh, that that the majority of of severed relationships are born out of an inability to speak truth. I'm talking about marriages, other romantic relationships, business partnerships. It's it's generally because people either are unwilling or unable to tell the other party what they really believe to be true. It's true. And, uh, uh, there you go. Yeah. 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 And I think um, we had, well, not that we, I think we had that on our show with Chris. I mean, bluntly, right? Like yeah. that's ultimately what it came down to, right? Like yep. Chris wanted something from the show that he was unable or unwilling to tell us he wanted. And we wanted things from him in the way that he treated the show and behaved. And again, I'm not going to sit here and say, 
one view was right over the other, but ultimately it became because of an inability just to kind of like speak on it right. in a mature way and have everyone say, well, this is what I think is going on. Um, it became what it became. And, uh, you know, not to dig up old wounds, but I'm just saying, like, I think ultimately our show is a perfect example of that. Like, and, and while the three of us, I'm sure, don't always agree or, uh, you know, while we love each other like brothers, I'm sure we're, there are times that we get on each other's nerves or what have you. Like, generally speaking, I think we've been very good um, of, of airing those grievances behind sure. Yeah, right. Of course, not like not not on the air, but I'm saying like being like, hey, man, like I wish you had done this or I was looking for this. And, you know, I know you always sigh when I'm like, oh, it's nice to hear from you because <laughs> you know, you'll like disappear for like three days. But like, again, like it's it it would be unfair of me not to be honest about it, because even though it might be annoying, like if I if I didn't say something and then you didn't be like, there's nothing to it, I would it would it would eat at me. And then. Yeah. You know, vice versa. I'm sure same thing with you. Like I'm just saying, it's. I think communication is vital in all things. Sure, know? right, and and adherence to the truth. I'd be lying if I said that the show wasn't good with Chris. Oh, of course it was. I thought it was good, but it wasn't. It was a different beast than what it is now. Well, and so, again, not to not to dig. I, I, I would just put one caveat because I know you, it was very good nay great for a long time and then it got to a point where it stopped being good as with or at least things. as good as it could be right and we all noticed it and i'm sure he noticed it too and that was what the issue was is that right uh the way we all thought the, the solve for getting it back to being great was where we where we all disagreed right like like he had one view of things and the three of us i think generally had another view and that's what happened right so the remainder of the story and we're talking over 100 pages here there's as much conflict within these megacities as there is without. Um, Megacity 2 and Texas City, they show their true colors <laughs> and they make, uh, they turn traitor. They make deals with East Meg 1, which the Soviets plan to honor in no way. War Marshal Kazan enters the picture and generates massive casualties with his metal legions. There's dissemination of propaganda and disinformation on both sides. A coup d'etat erupts. It's all just a bit too real. Uh, there's traitors within both camps. Millions of citizens dead or displaced. There's cracks in the very planet itself because of all the, the nuclear weaponry unleashed. You have radiation poisoning uh, abounds. There's chemical warfare, mind control, coercion. Um, Dread takes the fight to the Soviets, and it, it, he asks no quarter. He refuses to take prisoners. He Dread kills with impunity. Just um, uh, Mega City One um, destroys. Its own citizens that were exposed to radiation just puts them out of, the, out of their misery. I mean, it, it's it's not a very sunny and bright storyline um, because there's no victors in the war. One camp may overcome the other in the end, but nobody really wins, right? The planet's in a shambles. Uh, tensions are, are higher than they've ever been. You have millions and millions of people dead. It's just it, it, it's not a Broadway show. Right, but it 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 needed to be read, and I thought it, there were, these are the things you need to face. I think in life, you you need to extrapolate possible outcomes 
based on current facts. And this does this. This story is is riveting in a dark way. <laughs> but and and we've all lived various events in our lives like this. But this is the worst case scenario. Right. And and this this story had long lasting ramifications in uh Judge Dredd's universe. It it's one of those big to do's. That, oh, speak on that a little bit if you could. Well no, it's 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 never gone away. The 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 fallout, the results of this thing have permeated, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you get the cursed earth, you got radiation. Uh, the radiation just doesn't. Oh, wait, even... but didn't. What wasn't. So the cursed earth came from this? Or I thought the whole. I thought the desert between the cities was the cursed earth. Yeah, but what I'm earth. saying is you, you have strips of land that are uninhabitable. And this even made it worse. Okay, okay, right, right, right okay. Uh, it cracked the planet. <laughs> you don't. That's you, the thing. So you right. don't I, continue on after the. You know. The, I don't. I don't think I ever realized. I don't think I've ever come across another story where they talked about other dimensions. Because because when when Mega City One releases their twenty five warheads and um. East City One, they they they're like they set up a force field, and and right before and 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 so the missiles are ready to to make impact, and they disappear as soon as they hit this force field, and you get to the next prog, and they wink out of existence to reappear an instant later in another dimension, another Earth where total peace has reigned for a thousand years. Yeah, and basically these twenty five warheads earth-shattering and 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 it basically for lack of a better word it destroys this earth and we never i mean there's nothing to see again but it's never brought up again at least in the rest of this story and i don't i was never aware that the world of of judge dread played around or, or had brought into the theory of other dimensions other planets other Earths. Well, well, Dead World's another dimension. That is true. No, you are right there because yeah. it's, it's. I didn't. I, I didn't. I guess because it's that. I. I kind of look at that as like the reverse of of mirror of mirror. Earth. But you're right. Yeah. yeah. But it. But you're right. It is. It, it. It's another dimension. So it's. It's. It's right there. I'm dumb. All right. Never mind. You're not dumb. You're not dumb. It's just. See, I think I. I'll define it for you. It, Dead World is so freaking cool. You just don't even think about it. You're like, oh, dead world. It really, it's, it's like the underworld. I think yeah. it's like it's it's the under it's the underside. It's upside down. It's just it, it it's we share. We're on the same plane. They're just on. They're underneath us more or less. So yeah. it, it's like feet to feet. But go ahead. Um. So there you have it. I think it's how many pages is this thing? Four hundred, five hundred pages. It's huge. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's three sixty. I think. No, it, we're we're on volume five, champ. I, I don't yeah, know I how. Think it's, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Did you hear the venom uh, in his? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I just uh, dreads always. I don't want to say happy time, but uh, it, 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 it's it's like how I feel with 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 Punisher. It's one of those. I know you don't. It, it's not a guilty pleasure. We're not going to say that. God, don't you know? It's it's it's. But it yes, it's it does tickle it, the same areas that yeah. uh, the Punisher does. Uh, but I think what Dredd has over the Punisher 
the Punisher is a denizen of a relatively mundane universe. Yes, there's superpower beings flying around, but the best Punisher stories totally disregard that kind of stuff. So basically, the Punisher's best world is mundane, where this, you have all the trappings of of the best of sci-fi. Aliens, um, futuristic weaponry, dinosaurs, mutants, right? So, I mean, I think that tips the scales for me with Dread in that it's just, it's born out of the fantastic, where Punisher's, it's, I, I think Punisher's mundane. That's not, I'm not saying it's bad. No, it, and, it's and I, it's more slice of life. I think it's, and again, it it, it goes back to um, how much of a thing can can is is too much. It's I mean we've had we we we've gone years of having a Punisher comic and and in in different shapes and sizes and 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 tones, um, but yeah, he lives in a world where where there are other superheroes and he's not it's 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 why the the max line the max run was so great is because he could just he, he could do his thing in his own corner of the world and in, in in garth's punisher it was rikers island with you know the, the the proper spelling in the marvel universe it's rikers with a y and it's like so so you just you you've they gray the line and and you're not. It, it's weird to see this dude who's going to gun down rapists and drug dealers and mob bosses, uh, also be in a van wearing his white gloves and his white boots with Spider-Man and Daredevil swinging over him, and he's like, and and they're after the same criminal. It's just that they have a different way to 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 solve a problem, and it's 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 kind of hard to have those characters coexist and you know you, you either dumb it down or you're he's on drugs or they're rubber bullets and and it's just it maybe waters it down it detracts it a little bit whereas with dread it's like you're getting a dread story you're getting a few pages every every week but you're not you're not always getting in dread's head you don't it's 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 a story about whatever but it's this is the law. Dread is the law, and and this is how we're. It, it, it's it's like when you're watching a a show like like Law and Order is. It's a great show when you're just seeing the procedure part of things, and and it kind of like this is the black and white part of it, but when you start to you know find out about. Lenny's daughter and 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 she, she's a drug addict or 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 Jack McCoy goes home and he and and you know he he maybe has an affair with it's like I don't I'm not I don't care about the people so much as as the story which read it's like the, the the fact I mean the me finding out about Walter during Apocalypse War that's like the most personal thing I've ever realized about Dredd. I've never I've, I've never come across Walter before mm-hmm. I had no idea Dredd had a house robot and and I mean and and for for because I never I never imagine like I don't I don't think about dread going home at the end of the day I don't care about you know what what, what kind of what what whether dread prefers sparkling or still water I don't I don't need to know what I know I already know what makes dread tick I don't need I I, I don't care what happens when he takes the helmet off and 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 he he puts the lawmaster in the garage I just dread is what's on the page and that's 
that's what I want out of Dread. I don't necessarily when when I get too deep on on some characters, it it takes the the magic away, and I don't. I I, I like Dread the way it's presented in two thousand eight. Well, you'll never see Judge Dread's face. I know because he does. As far as we're concerned, the uniform is the face because yeah. he is the uniform. Right, even in Apocalypse, where they they they're like, I mean, oh, I, I, now we finally see his face, and it's and and I'm and I and that always and I've never, I, it's always pissed me off about, um, the first Judge Dredd movie with Stallone. I mean, and I, and that's a horrible movie anyway. But it it's the fact that you know he just we never, it, it's like as soon as he can, because of Sylvester Stallone, of course you want to see his face. Soon as he can, he gets rid of the helmet, and for the rest of the movie, he's just helmet free. Whereas the Dread movie, I absolutely adore. I love that movie, and and you know you can barely tell it's Carl Urban, but he's perfect in that role. And I love the fact that you just never see him without his helmet. Meanwhile, you know still you watch. Still, you never got a sequel, but not yet. I, I, I'm still holding out hope because I, I do believe it's one of those rumors where it's it it, it might could still happen, but. Um, yeah, you know, it's like it's it's true. We got a pitch black sequel. We can get a, a <laughs> we got a couple of pitch black sequels. Yeah. The um, but like like the Marvel movies, as soon as um, a, a, as soon as Tony Stark and 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 Thor and Cap can can take their helmet or their cowl off, you're going to see Hemsworth and and Down Junior. That's and, why Iron Man three drives me nuts, and you and you're okay with it. <laughs> I love Iron Man three. It's a great movie. But he jumps but out of the suit every three seconds. Yes, yes, he does. But it's, but I mean, it's, it's, he's, it, it, there's a mystery to solve. It's not, it's, it, there's, I mean, we, we're not going to get to that right now. No, but it, no. it's, it's, it's but I mean, you know, it's like, it's like Captain America doesn't barely wears his helmet, his cowl, and, and, and Thor got rid of the, the helmet real quick. So, um, you know, we don't watch those movies to see their heads covered. But 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 the Dread movie was absolutely perfect. I thought that that was, and that felt like a story with the whole block. And I mean, it, that felt like a story you'd actually read in two thousand eight. Yeah, it is a great movie. Um, and we got to give props to Dread's credo. It, it is one of the best lines ever written in comics. To say that I am the law is yeah. is the is the direct interpretation of who this character is. Yeah. He is the law. Yeah. Hundred percent. Dread is indistinguishable from the law, and it's just so simple. I am the law. You know, I, and, I mean, if nothing else, we wouldn't have RoboCop if it wasn't for Judge Dread. It's an attempt at humor, but <laughs> a failed attempt, I guess. Well, I, I think that there's enough social commentary in RoboCop to elevate it to Dread's level. Yeah, I love RoboCop. And, Me too, and, and I, I think I, it. I think it. I think it definitely was inspired by Dread. I, yeah, and, I, and it and it does push all the same buttons. I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right, there you go. Two books in the month for the price of one. <laughs> 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 Judge Dread. The yeah, com- through, uh, really eight hundred pages of Dread. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the complete case files, volumes five and nine. And nine. nine. Ah, let's make it. It's interesting. Oh, it was great. Yeah, Who was, cares? I, I love the Audible. It's fantastic. I mean, it, stayed, <laughs> it, it stayed. It was, you know, it's still Judge Dredd. It's still Case Files. It's still, and 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 now I want to, based on what Jason told us about Volume Nine, I want to read that one. Um, yeah, I th- this was this was great. I mean, I still, I thank you, Matt. You said I 
tell him every chance. But yeah, I mean, thank you so much for sending this, and I'm I'm glad I was able to sit down and um and just really go to town on it. And I I hope Ian enjoys it. Um, he's been this this has been a long time coming for him. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know what the hell he's going to vote on next month or, or here on after. Um, or he or she's going to hang up his number and retire. But the uh, yeah, the, the, this was a lot of fun, and we'll um, we'll have uh, I'll post we'll we'll, we'll confer and, and and post the July book list um, before the uh, before next weekend. But yeah, before the weekend of the fourth, I'll say for sure. Before we uh, do our new travels, can we can we pay a few minutes uh, to? Uh, Pour one out for uh, the passing of Mr. Joe Sinnott. Yeah, if there's anything that's going to get me curled up in a fetal position, sobbing my freaking eyes out, it's the no, I know, but that's Joe why Sinnott. I say like people would probably be baffled knowing us if we didn't at least. Yeah, uh, I, I was thinking we should lead with that, but mm, it, yeah, I know, but we didn't. What do you What do you do? <laughs> um, so, uh, just an amazing artist and embellisher. Uh, I think. Part and parcel, I think Joe was as uh, crucial to the success of, of early Marvel as as almost everybody there. Um, maybe not as crucial as as Jack and and Steve, but everything Joe touched, yeah. you know, okay, everything Joe touched was masterfully done. I mean, he, I, I think it was Eric Larson that said uh, uh, Joe made everybody look better. And I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. that is true. Yeah, I, I I know years ago we had a discussion about Kirby's Inkers, and I'm pretty sure you said Sinnott was your guy, but no, do I have that right? No, 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 no. Uh, Mike big, Mike Royer, Royer. Is, is my Royer. Kirby. That's right. No, yeah. that's right. Were you Sinnott that? But so one of us was Sinnott. Maybe it was Chris. I don't know. I, I think it was Chris. Okay. I, I mean, I I love Joe's line, and it, and and he's not he's not overpowering. He um he really does um bring drawings to life but um but yeah i mean and he was oh god he's always smiling such a nice guy i got to shake his hand he's oh you he met is, him yeah and um at uh one of the uh well he was there every time i went up but i went to um our buddy steve up in albany i went to the uh the albany con with raker a couple of times and um and he's always there he's a fixture there and that's where i also got to meet fred hembeck um but yeah joe was there shook his hand thanked him um Great guy who's there with his son. Um, but he's a, he's just, I've never, and, and I don't, he's another one where uh, just, I, I have yet, I don't know anyone who could ever say uh, a, a bad word about the guy. He's just, he always, he seemed to always be professional. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, he, it came across to me that, that he loved what he did. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I, I, I think, you said it so well, Vince. I mean, um, it's a long-standing uh, thorn and dap side and joke about inkers and their place in history. And um, but I think we obviously uh, understand, as do hopefully most of our listeners, how important they are and, and were in particular back then. But yeah, man, Senate. Like the thing is, is you know he was obviously so intricately associated with Kirby for so long. But then when Kirby went to DC. You know, Sinnott stayed at Marvel, and and he inked a lot of seminal artists on seminal runs. I mean, you all know I worship at the altar of Buscema, and he inked Buscema for a while. He inked Perez and Steranko. I mean, he 
he touched everybody, you know. And uh, I think the biggest benefit from mm -hmm. Joe's uh, mastery was uh, bestowed to Rich Buckler. Buckler was West Coast Avengers. No, no, Buckler was good, but Joe made him look like a master. Hands down. I think Buck, yeah. Buckler received the biggest boon from having. Did he ink Buckler on like Fantastic Four? I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, then I agree with you. Um, yeah, man. And and like, dude was ninety three. He stopped doing comics in ninety two. Um, although he did work on the um, the ASM uh, newspaper strip for a long time. So yes, but like he stopped doing published uh, like direct market comics in ninety two. So it had been a minute. Um, but yeah, man, like, and, and I got to say, I don't know if y'all, if need to say a gentleman of his caliber passes away, there's lots and lots of pretty cool, uh, eulogy or, uh, you, you know, eulogies or remembrances of him. Um, Roy Thomas had, uh, some pretty cool words to say about him. He didn't actually know him, even though they were contemporaries, he didn't know him that well, uh, personally, which I found interesting. Cause I think like we all kind of think back in the bullpen days, everybody knew everybody. Um, but he, I should say he didn't know him well in the years when they were like, at their heyday professionally, but they became good friends in their later years, like they're on the concert and stuff. And he said that, uh, one of the things he, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, but, uh, but he said one of the things he always remembered is that they'd get in these great debates about pop culture. And one of their favorites was debating who is the better, uh, the best pop singer ever, Bing Crosby or Frank Sinatra. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, man, that, that's where, you know, gentlemen, were gentlemen on the older end of things. But, uh, uh, and if you're wondering, uh, um, uh, Sinnott was on the uh, Bing side, and uh, and Roy believes Frank Sinatra. So, but uh, I got to side with Roy on this one. Me too. Me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bing is like my all-time favorite Christmas song singer, but uh, I don't know about beyond that. Yeah. So rest in peace, Mister Sinnott. Yeah, I mean, we are finite beings, and it's going to hit us all. Eventually, yeah. but uh, we hate to see our heroes go. Uh, but Joe was one of the best of the best, man. For sure. Yep. Well, as Casey Kasem said, now I got to take us up. Um, <laughs> remember, if you want comics and you want to not pay a whole lot of money for them, there's only really one place to go, and that's Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com. Get them. Fast, get them cheap, get them delivered right to your door. Dynamites, Atlas Comics, Signature Series, Mars Attacks, Red Sonia, $1.99. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from IDW, The Last Ronin, number one, four forty nine, And From Ablaze, The Sumerian, People of the Black Circle, number one, $2.19. I'm going to keep it in the pocket by saying, if you value anything, that comes out of my mouth. If you take my recommendations even the slightest bit seriously, get your ass to a comic book shop if you haven't already pre-ordered this and get The Sumerian Red Nails number 1. Written by Robert E. Howard originally, and this is the very last of his Conan tales. Not in, in terms of the, uh, the timeline of Conan, but he wrote this last. Um, it's adapted by Regis... Hautier, uh, art by Olivier Vatine, word and Dieter yes, and Dieter Cassegrain. It's published by Ablaze. If you enjoyed uh, the original, the the first Ablaze 
uh, miniseries with um, the, it was a two issue miniseries. This eclipses even the majesty of that. Nice. This thing is absolutely jaw droppingly gorgeous. Awesome. I am not kidding you. Uh, it's it's in that time before Conan becomes the king. Uh, he's a mercenary. And he's he's doing the Conan wandering thing, and he 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 crosses over into this Darfur region. Uh, that's basically one giant forest. Uh, the Stygians believe it to be cursed, and it's not long until Conan cr- crosses paths with Valeria. If you're looking at the current Marvel stuff, you know who Valeria is, right? She's a mercenary too, and she thinks that Conan's there to bring her back because she she killed a would-be rapist. And she thinks this dude named Zeralo wants her head. And she believes Conan is the mercenary that took the job to get her back. But Conan, he's, he's not after her. He would much rather get in her pants than, than take her back to, to this dude. Anyway, there's dinosaurs involved. Do I need to say any more? And, and it culminates in a, uh, a temple it's just magnificently illustrated. I mean, I, I was aghast at every page. It's gritty. It's colorful. It's sexy as hell. Conan is perfectly depicted. He's not as misshapen and exaggerated as in the uh, previous miniseries. Why am I drawing a blank on the title? The... The, the two- Queen? What the hell was it? Was it the... No, um... I don't know. This is not making for good. Uh, it, the the one that's currently sur- solicited is People of the Black Circle. Red Nails is the middle one, and the first one was oh Queen of the Black Coast. That's it. it was yes. Dip shit. What the hell is wrong with me? Um, that was great, and I'm not going to denigrate that at all because the illustration that was pitch perfect. This is even better to my eyes. Like I love every freaking panel of this thing. It is absolutely gorgeous. Get it. Sumerian Red Nails, number one, from Ablaze. And there's something very curious about Ablaze. I went on Amazon to, to see if, like, when their trades were solicited. There's no trades that I can mm. find on Amazon for these Sumerian books. Are they just limiting themselves to single issues? I don't know. I hope not, because, you know me, I, I got to have hardcover treatments. For the stuff that mm-hmm. I, I truly adore. This falls into that category, right? I'm not seeing any kind of hardcover or trade paperback collection for these things at all, which kind of scares mm-hmm. me a little bit. A little bit. So no, if, if anybody knows of uh, the the inner workings of a blaze, let us know. Are these things going to be collected at, at some point? Flop, floppies are so fragile. Crazy. So fragile. They are. <sighs> uh, I finally placed my um, my DCBS order. Look at uh, you, all grown uh, up. The what the hell was it? Today's Thursday, Tuesday night. I think yeah, Tuesday. And then I I realized um, because I decided to um, I added the booster gold. Hardcover collecting the last half of his series and, and assorted, um, not realizing that it was the second volume until I read the solicit. So that same, as soon as I placed my DCBS order, I then went to in stock trades 
and ordered the first hardcover collecting one through 12. So I'll have, I'll have all my booster golds again, not in the original format. I had them, but I'll be able to sit down and reread the original Dan Jurgens and Mike DiCarlo booster gold. So I'm looking forward to that, but yeah, I, I, and I have, I picked up previews yesterday from, from the shop. So I'll be flipping through that this weekend. And I figure, um, since I failed miserably at doing my previous video in June for the patrons, I'll uh, just kind of recap what I ordered and um, and make sure I talk about what's in this month's previews that might catch my eye. I didn't even flip through it yet, so I don't know if they've tried to make up the things that uh, weren't in the May and June because people are trying to play catch up. So I don't. But uh, in your travels, um, I won't go deep on this since it's kind of a repeat of our in your travels from from monday um but this is uh teenage mutant Ninja turtles number 105 taking place directly seconds after um the end of issue 104 where they walk into the club and um and get jamming and uh Vince, as much as you enjoyed 104 i really think you're going to like 105 um it, it really is it's it's such a great great book and i want to say a great book right now it's been a great book since i've jumped on board with city of war but um yeah it's just i mean Sophie, there's just so much love on the page, and and there's it, it looks great. Characters are fun. Um, it's it's final. I want to say finally, a um, the cover is is indicative of what goes on inside the issue. Um, but yeah, it it's it was, and I think because I think 106, there's a um, Sophie's still in charge of the writing, but I think um, we have a. Uh, there's someone else drawing it. I think it's 106. It might it might be 107. But um, yeah, in your travels, like we said last episode, uh, we're saying it again: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from IDW. Respect. Uh, quickly, before I do your in your travels, I do want to because you guys talked about this on Monday. Uh, I did receive uh, this week after we recorded uh, my copy of Atomic Hercules number two. Nice. Actually, I should say I received my two copies because I ordered the Benjamin Mara variant as well. Yep. Uh, So I received both. Um, So I will put the non-Mara... I'll keep the Mara and I'll put (laughs) the non-Mara in a care package. But that said, um, I mean, I'm not going to rehash it like y'all said. It was fucking great. It's so good. It's really great, man. Esmond is crushing it. It's so nice when you have a buddy, right, that we like and love anyway, and then he does something super cool like this. So um, totally adored it. Uh, just like you, like you guys said, just just wrong, just so wrong on so many levels that it's right. Um, but my inner travels is a, is a book I think Dap can can tag with me if he cares to. Um, and that is a and there's all kinds of great synergies with this book because Vince, uh, this book may get me to be uh, finally be get get me to be a fan of the pulp because <laughs> yeah, I'll believe it this, when I see it. Oh, if no, this, this is what the pulp is about, then I'm in. Um, <laughs> Uh, I am talking about uh, written by Mr. Matt Fraction, uh, drawn by Terry Dodson, uh, and colored by his lovely wife, Rachel. Uh, I'm talking about Adventure Man, number one. Um, 
I loved this issue. I loved everything about this issue. Um, this was one of Image's big titles that was supposed to be one of their anchor titles this year. Uh, obviously, the COVID delayed it, um, but now it's happening. This first issue is 64 pages. So you're getting a really nice, hefty uh, opening salvo to pull you in or not, you know, if it's not your thing. But but I love that you're, you get a, a really big, meaty uh, chunk of the story to decide if this is for you or, for, or, or not. Um, there's back matter. And yes, shockingly, I read the back matter. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> but Fraction talks about the fact that I think back in 2009 or 2010, he was at a con talking with uh, some friends about pulp. And uh, he was in a, a bit of an obsessive phase with it and um and uh it, it revolved around doc savage as as one might expect and th- this adventure man basically started as initially 10 years ago as fraction wanted to do something with doc savage he wanted to pay homage to doc savage um now what it became is much different and he talks about all that i won't, I won't you can read it for yourself but but um but in essence this is this first issue is essentially two stories um, it is uh, it, you get you get pulled right into a period piece pulp high adventure where Adventure Man is your Doc Savage of this world. He has uh, uh, been called into action uh, reluctantly, by the way, by the by the by the uh, gov- the government. They need him, and he's in his awesome high rise mansion, and he's got a whole team with him. And Vince, like, I can't see how you wouldn't see these pages and just gush. There's uh, Jim Royal, the gentleman. There's Chagall, the super pharmacologist, science witch. There's Akal, the timeless one, and he's like a Arabian guy with a turban. Uh, there's Sally Sweet, the ace aviatrix. Phaedra Phantom, the ghostly saint of the burlesque. And for those of you that aren't familiar with, with the Dodsons, there are few people alive that draw a more beautiful woman in comics than Terry Dotson. And he is uh, in full full form in this book. Uh, and they just get into this awesome high adventure where that team of good go- of, 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 uh, of do-gooders uh, does battle with uh, a, an equally impressive team of, of uh, ne'er-do-wells led um, uh, by Baron Bazaar and his wife Baroness Bazaar and the Otto May Terror and Slugger Dunphy, that's probably my favorite, um, Metamage, Hellcat McGee, like just awesome, awesome, awesome. Like everything about this is just over the top and ridiculous. And they all have uh, great character designs and they do, they do battle and there's snappy dialogue. And and you think you, you're like kind of like, all right, I get this. This book's going to be like a cool like homage to Pulp. But in typical Fraction form, this ends up being the uh, – the, the, the ultimate story for, for, for these characters in particular adventure, man, it's the end story. And suddenly the whole book shifts and we're now brought to, um, uh, a woman reading, uh, on her bed, a bedtime story, which happens to be what we just saw, uh, for her son. And, uh, and, and it's like a complete change of pace. She's a, uh, a, a single mom. She's a, she's deaf. She's actually, uh, but beautiful woman and, uh, and, and she reads a story, but she, she, uh, it turns out that, uh, that, uh, she's living her life seems much more mundane. We're not really sure where the transition is. And then, and then we get to a point where it's pretty clear that she is either a descendant of the actual adventure man or about to like green lanterns. I'll be imbued with becoming the new adventure man. So I guess adventure woman, but, um, 
but uh, and and that's kind of where we're left. But I just thought this was everything about it was great. The visuals were stunning. It was snappy, well paced, uh, not overly wordy. Um, I just thought the whole thing was a, was an absolute home run. I, I love the idea. Infraction does speak about this in the back matter of basically taking what he views as so great about pulp and uh and and modernizing it and one of the things he did intentionally was do the gender switch because so much of what makes the pulp characters um and doc savage in particular memorable is their masculinity but we live in a world now where those kinds of things are kind of being debated or redefined so he thought let's let's take that character and make it a woman and um i just have a lot of faith in fraction you know i think when fraction is telling his own stories he has a very very high hit rate um and i'm just an unapologetic dodson mark so this book is just so beautiful it really is incredible um i I don't think terry ever sells his pages so i'm not holding that hope but uh but if he ever decides and he needs like buy a retirement home or something in uh malibu and puts the pages up for sale i'll be there but uh man oh man i'm fully on board with adventure man absolutely on board i don't disagree i um i i enjoyed it a lot um it 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 starts off looking like um almost like uh that was that jude law movie is it sky captain or yes and they, the, yeah and 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 some league of extraordinary gentlemen type stuff which of course is uh, so it it i really was getting into um the setting of of the novel um but then the introduction of of um, of Claire's family, because um, it's Claire and her son, and I don't and unless I I might have missed it, but I don't. We don't know anything about um, about baby daddy, right? Is, is no, did, not did, okay. Yeah. So, um, but but her family with her sisters. I mean, dad is is a big Hulk of a man, and and. Um, loves his daughters. You can tell all the daughters are the daughters are extremely um, well. They're they're, they're and they're clearly adopted, they're, right? I mean, because every daughter they all look different, different ethnicities yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, unless dad sleeps around. But the, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, it it just it it looks fantastic. Um, so good, he's so good. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's the, the the people, and not just women. I mean, the women I be, be, because I'm a cis guy, like the women. But but he draws amazing looking men too. Like the, yeah. he just draws like physical perfection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, he he and Rachel do make a fantastic. Yeah. I didn't I didn't realize that. I don't know how long he's been coloring his own work, but but this it it looks um it looks great. Yeah, I I had a lot of fun with it. it it's um. It it does it, and it is it's it's not a quick read and because it is extra sized um, it you you're definitely getting a lot out right of like it. you know you know after reading this issue if you're in or not like there's no yeah oh yeah oh let me come back let me see because you know that happens a lot with first issues because they're 22 pages you're like oh I don't know like it could be cool it could not let me see what happens second issue but this you yeah if if you read this and it's not for you I I think you can safely not continue to read it yeah. Yeah, no, I'm definitely there for the second issue. Well, there you have it, people. Another book of the month under our belts. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you come back for next episode. If you want more of the same here, although not in your ears, but 
in your eyes. Go to Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, and Instagram. Please, if you would be so kind to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. In the meantime, say goodnight. David. Ooh, it's a short one. Good night. David. There you go. Nice and tight and right and in your face and get out of here because we're coming back real soon. Play like a toy gun. Yep. Say goodbye, Jason. Say goodbye to Jason. Oh. <laughs>